Hello, everybody. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time you're listening to this. I hope you're having a wonderful time. Um, I know shows don't usually start like this, but I just wanted to give a brief intro and let everybody know that when Brad and I recorded this episode, we had some pretty significant audio issues. Um, Several times when I was talking, the audio would drop out for Brad. Several times when he was talking, his audio would drop out for me. Um, Usually this stuff happens every once in a while, and usually I'm pretty good at kind of stitching the stuff together so that doesn't sound you know, strange or, you know, kind of Frankensteined um, whenever you hear the final product of the show. But I just wanted to let everybody know that this is probably the most significant um, we've had as far as audio issues go for a show. So I had to do some pretty significant cuts to the show. I mean, you might not be able to tell because I might have done them really well. Um, But just in case there's anything that sounds weird or if there's any pauses or if it seems like maybe... I said something and Brad's pickup from it was a little off or vice versa. That is why, you know, the internet is a wonderful tool. And I thank the internet gods every day that Brad and I can live all the way across the United States from each other, like literally almost all the way diagonally across the United States from each other. And that we were able to use Discord and use the internet to chat and bring you the show every week. It's kind of a technical marvel that we can get this done every single week. However... The internet is not always reliable, um, depending on connection speeds and carrier and all that stuff. I mean, I don't need to explain the internet to you. We're all adults here. But I just want to let everybody know I apologize if some of the stuff sounds weird or if it sounds like there's some weird cuts going on. Um, I've only done an intro like this on one show before, um, and that show actually ended up sounding okay. So hopefully this one does too. I just want to give a little bit of a warning. But without further ado, um, I introduce you to episode 137 of the So Video Games Podcast. Welcome to the 137th episode of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we will be talking about it. Today, we are recording on Wednesday, June 26th, 2019. My name is Brad Galloway. I am the editor of GameCritics.com, and I am 50% of this here show. With me, as always, Corey Motley podcast producer and co-host here at the show how are you doing Corey? (laughs) whenever you sent me the script earlier i did actually laugh out loud whenever i saw that change in the script so uh thank you for that and i am tired but i'm doing pretty well uh how are you uh about the same about the same so i think we're probably in uh, good shape to do a podcast today Perfect. There's no better shape to be in than whenever you're tired and you have a lot of stuff going on, but you still need to record a show. Those are the best conditions. You just need that little bit of pressure to push you through. I find that if we if we don't have any pressure, no deadlines, bad show. If we're in a rush, got no time, it's a great show. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. We got a lot of stuff to talk about because it's been a while since we had a regular format show. But before we get into the games chat, just a quick reminder that we are back to our usual format and so our banter section comes after the show there will be banter after the show i know we've been kind of like off kilter but it's back per your request if you want to hear from uh us that about stuff that's not necessarily game related 
Please stay tuned after the closing music for the extra content. And now let's just jump right into it and get back in the groove. Let's talk about some games. First, a quick little thing, something strange. Uh, listener Michael London from way across the world sent us a little demo of his game that he's building himself called Taxi Simulator. Uh, don't have a lot to say about it, except that it's the ugliest piece of, piece of trash I've ever seen. Corey, what were your thoughts on Taxi Simulator? Um, well, I thought it was going to be... Because, you know, I tend to enjoy games that have the name Simulator in them because I'm, like, kind of the walking sim guy of the show. But um, the taxi, it was just one step too far for me, and I could not get behind this game. I'm sorry, Michael. Yeah, the sim part was pretty broken, too. So, all right, send it back to the drawing board, <laughs> Michael London. You and your family, get that game in better shape. Send it back out to us, and uh, we'll see how you're doing next time. Actually, uh, for those who are listening who think we're being totally heartless and cruel right now, uh, that's just basically... A shout-out in disguise to Michael and his family. He thought his kids would get a hoot out of that. Um, so we're not actually being as mean-spirited as we sound. Uh, but thanks for uh, listening and playing along with our little joke. And congratulations to Michael London for building his uh, his little game prototype there. Um, so let's talk about some actual for-real games um, that we may or may not be cruel to. Uh, maybe a little bit. Uh, before we talk about your actual first game this week, Corey, uh, I sent you a dm a couple nights ago and i was like red alert motherfucker <laughs> all hands on deck because i got a pr email saying that the new hitman level new york was about to drop and it is a bank vault or bank heist level perhaps um i was very excited i know you were very excited uh you downloaded it i'm gonna ask you about it in a second i will tell you i've tried to download this thing probably i don't know 10 15 times and it errors out for me every single time. I can't get it to download, so I have not had a chance to play it yet. Number one, know. did you have that problem? And I guess if you didn't, tell us about the the, the New York level. Um, I will talk about this briefly. I did not have that problem. Yesterday, um, I'm playing it on PS4. I got home from work, and I, uh, as usual with all their updates, there is a, or with all their chapter or DLC drops, there's a, like a little game update. So I updated the game. And then I went to the PSN and downloaded. They have that, and they have like a little uh, extra mission pack that I think repurposes a couple of the existing levels for new objectives and stuff. I haven't tried those yet, but that's a thing too. So I downloaded the bank level, downloaded the like remix level pack thing. It's I think it's called like special assignments or something. Um, had no problems downloading them. Downloaded them perfectly. Um, I played through the bank level last night. I don't want to talk about it in depth because I'd rather do a discussion after you play it, but I will say that I don't know how in the world it took so long for this to happen, but like Hitman and a bank heist, they just go hand in hand together so well. Like I don't, like a lot of games that I love have great bank heist levels, like Deus Ex Mankind Divided has a wonderful bank heist level. Um, which oddly is optional in the game. It's not even a side quest. There's a point in the game where you have to choose between doing that or doing a different mission. And if you played through that game and did not choose the bank heist mission, for the love of God, go back and play it because it's like probably my favorite mission in the game. And Dishonored also, Dishonored 2 and Death of the Outsider both had bank heist missions, I believe. Um... So it's just, like, perfectly set up for it. So, hit like, I don't know what took Hitman so long to get around to this to do, like, a cool bank heist mission, but they finally released one. It's, it takes place in New York, like you said. It's in this really fancy, like, obviously, it kind of comes with all the trappings that you would expect 
of a Hitman game. It's like a multi-level bank. There's several, I mean, the lobby is open to the public, and then there's, you know, security areas, there's IT areas, there's like an investment banking area, there's like a stock market area, there's multi-floors, of course there's a vault somewhere in the building because every bank has to have a vault. There's a safety deposit box area that has like several rooms in it, and you know, it comes with all the things you would expect for a Hitman level. And I did play it once last night, I beat it one time, I'm not gonna go in depth, but I did enjoy it. Um, I did surprisingly well. I mean, usually when I play a Hitman level for the first time, it never, it goes pretty smoothly, but I might have said this on the show before, every time I play a Hitman level for the first time, as a matter of fact, the first two or three times I play it, I turn off all the mission story notifications because I want to go in as purely as I possibly can, so I don't let the mission stories lead me around, I don't let the objective markers tell me what to do, I turn them off completely. That's exactly what I did last night. I went into the bank. I just kind of did everything by really paying attention and by listening to what people were saying and by trying to decide what I thought were tips and what weren't. And of course, I ended up doing one of the mission stories, um, I guess pretty flawlessly, just by listening and paying attention and finding the right stuff. I beat it once. I did not get a Silent Assassin rating, but I did get a four out of five star rating. And I did... I save often when I play Hitman missions. I did um, have to reload a save about eight times in order to get through one section that I kept messing up, but I did beat it. It was very good, and I'm looking forward to going back and playing it over and over and over and over again as I do Hitman missions. And Brad, once, if you ever download it, if it works for you, um, and after you play it, we can come back and kind of discuss the intricacies of it as we often do when it comes to Hitman levels. All right, so this is good. Um, let's definitely try to talk about it next week. I'm going to, after we get done with the show, I'm going to try to download it again. I don't know what the problem is. I got plenty of room on my hard drive. I got the external hard drive. It's like, I don't know, like four terabytes or something. I got plenty of room for it. Internet, I mean, it's not great, but my internet's fine. I'm, I'm downloading other things. I don't know what the problem is, but I'm going to keep downloading this. Really frustrating that I just kept error, 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 and I couldn't get it. So, uh, I'll get it figured out. If nothing else, I'll send a couple angry tweets off to PlayStation assistants or something, and maybe they can help me. But <laughs> I'm hoping that we'll have it wrapped up by next week, and we'll how about we do like a deep dive, and we'll talk about all the ins and outs of that. Sound good? I would love that. All right, cool. Um, so let's put that on pause for now. Let's get on to your actual first game. Uh, small little indie gem. I've never heard of it, and I, I don't think anybody's <laughs> ever bought it. Uh, something, it's called like Resident Evil... <laughs> Is that a four? Resident <laughs> Evil four? I, tell us all about this, man. I have no idea what this is about. What's what's going on? How did you come across to play this? You find it in like the Steam store? Was it in like a, some dark corner, some little little known indie section? Yeah, it's. I've actually I've been playing it on Switch, but it's actually like you just have to dive really deep into one of the menus, and it's really old. Um, I I had never heard of this before I played it, so I was like, all right, I guess you know, as I do, I'll, I'll take a little chance on this game. I've it's never worth a risk, right? This. Worth a yeah. risk. Yeah, you never never, know. never heard of this Resident Evil Four. I don't know. Um, so I bought it, and um, and then uh, little did I know, I actually have played this before. I was perfectly is the perfect case of. You think you haven't played it before, maybe the title screen graphic is different on the store, you buy it, and then you think, oh yeah, I have bought this before. 
on two other platforms, as a matter of fact, because <laughs> I own this on GameCube. I bought it on day one on GameCube when it came out, and I bought it on the Xbox 360 whenever the HD version came out um, back in, I don't know, like five or so years ago or whenever it came out. Um, I have Gamefly'd the PlayStation 4 version and have beat that, but I did not buy it on PlayStation 4, but I have played it on PS4. And it just came to Switch about a month ago or so. Um, Capcom released Resident Evil 4 and the Resident Evil remake that debuted on GameCube um, on the Switch on the same day. And so I went on my business trip. Um, I talk about that a little bit in banter. So if you want to hear a little bit about my business trip, I went on a few weeks ago. Uh, stay tuned later. But I sort of gave this game as a gift to myself uh, to take on my Switch on the plane because... Why else do you own a Switch but to play it on airplanes? That's like half the marketing for the system. So I bought Resident Evil 4 I because I love, I mean, full disclosure, I've probably talked about it on the show maybe more than one time. I love Resident Evil 4. It is an absolute classic. There are certain games out there that, you know, maybe people hold up as classics that maybe you and I both think are not classics, but this is not a game that I can say that I can come to the show and be like, oh, I don't understand why everybody loves that game because that's usually what I say. Um, I totally understand why everybody loves this game. Resident Evil 4 is a classic, and I love it. I've played it... Pro I mean, if I had to say, like, maybe the top three games I've spent the most time playing in my life, Resident Evil 4 would probably be in that top three. I have replayed it over and over and over again on GameCube, and then over and over again on Xbox 360. I tried the Wii version with the motion controls when it came out. I think I rented it. I played it on PS4, um, and now I have bought it again on the Switch. And I bought it, you know, for the plane ride to take with me. Um, I have played it in multiple different setups so far. I've played it in portable mode with the Joy-Cons attached to the screen. I have played it in portable mode with the Joy-Cons detached from the screen. I have played it in portable mode with the Joy-Cons and the little, like, black controller thing that comes with the Switch. And I have played it with a third-party... Um, Zelda-themed controller that's kind of modeled after the Xbox 360 controller that you plug into the base of the Switch. So I can but, offer but, some... What? But but have you had it in a box, and have you had it with a fox? Have you had it with green <laughs> oh. eggs and ham? <laughs> uh, no, I have not had it with any of those things. Okay, uh, well, you did everything else, <laughs> so please continue. <laughs> um, and I, I have... Okay, so I have some good and some shockingly not bad things, but some mediocre things to say about this. I okay, mean, if you... Okay. Yeah, so pre prepare yourselves, everybody. If you've played Resident Evil 4, you know what this is. I don't need to recap what it is. Um, this game's been out forever. It was a game changer for multiple genres, uh, you know, brought behind the back kind of aiming, over-the-shoulder aiming, pretty much into fad for a lot of video games, and that's still a trend that a lot of games are running with right now. Um, it was a total radical redesign for everything Resident Evil had stood for up until that point, um, and to its success, because it's wonderful. It is goofy as hell. The writing is so silly. This game is not to be taken seriously, but it is so much fun to play. Um, however, I have some uh, some issues with the Switch version, namely the Joy-Cons are not super great to play like precision shooters on, and Resident Evil 4, as everybody who's played it may know, the big thing about it is it's over-the-shoulder aiming, it has, every weapon has like a laser sight on it, you get the laser sight on the enemy, you pull the trigger, and boom, you shoot them. Um, a lot of it is based on precise aiming. You try to shoot their kneecaps so that you could stun them and then you can kick them. You try, if you shoot them in the head, you can stun them and then, like, go up and punch them or kick them or something like that. 
Um, often the chest area, even though it's the easiest area to aim at, is probably the least effective spot to actually shoot an enemy on because it doesn't stagger them and it doesn't really do as much damage as shooting them in the head um, or shooting them in the leg and then kicking them. Well, precision aiming on the Switch is not an easy thing to do. And I'm actually finding, like, I'm still enjoying the game, obviously, because I love it, but I'm finding this to be the most difficult version of Resident Evil 4 that I have ever played because... The Joy-Cons are very sensitive, and they're not... Um, it's just not easy to aim... To, like, move the aiming cursor around slowly. And there's no sensitivity option for the control sticks. And I understand that's never something that has been in Resident Evil 4. Um, none of them, to my knowledge, have ever had any kind of, like, a big accessibility options or, like sensitivity in movement or sensitivity in aiming you just kind of get what you get and on the gamecube and on the xbox 360 and on the playstation 4 controllers i never really had a problem with that because the controllers are just better for that kind of thing but the switch's tiny little joy con joysticks that basically like fling wildly from left to right with like the slightest press of your thumb they're not super great for this kind of game so i find myself dying a lot more i find myself using maybe more ammo than I normally would. And I'm definitely the kind of person in this game that will shoot an enemy in the knee, kick them, and then slash them with a knife while they're down. So I'm not even someone who's just wildly shooting at everything all the time. But playing this from scratch all over again has actually proven to be quite... Um, I mean, I wouldn't call it super difficult, but there are certain segments that have been pretty frustrating. Um, the game has some areas that don't have really great checkpoints where... You know, I'll go through a section that has a lot of enemies in it, and then, like, the last enemy in the room, of course, will, like, throw an axe from off screen and kill me, and then it'll checkpoint me back to, like, before the entire encounter ever happens, so I have to go back through all of it. And, you know, part of that is because the controls, I think, could use a sensitivity option, which I, I'm guessing that Capcom has no interest in patching in because that's never been a thing before and i mean you know i doubt they're still like patching and taking care of this game because it's like a decade old or something um but i feel like that's something it could use and also part of the problem here too and this is more on me and less on the game itself is that yeah maybe i've played resident evil 4 like 50 times in the past but you know 48 of those 50 times were on a new game plus because after you beat resident evil 4 you keep all of your weapons you had from the previous game you keep all of your items you keep your you can upgrade your health over the course of the game you keep all of that and i kind of forget that whenever you start this game from scratch it is actually kind of hard you have to really conserve <laughs> your ammo um the controls are not if you're used to like super modern controls like this game is not a, du a dual stick shooter like you turn and move with one thumbstick so i can get down with it because i'm used to that but like it doesn't control the same as like resident evil 5 or resident evil 6 or the resident evil 2 remake it controls a little bit more um kind of retro e i don't know if what the right word for it is but it's just like a little more old school and if you're coming to this having either not played this in a long time and not played it ever or or not on a new game plus, it's kind of hard. Like, you really have to conserve your ammo. You have to be very thoughtful about how you move about the environment. You know, there's no dodge button. There's no crouch button. There's no jump button. Like, you just kind of have to run out of the way if somebody's coming after you. And I find myself dying a lot. And like I said, part of it's on me because... If you're not playing a new game plus, you don't have all like the nice upgraded weapons that you had from your last play. 
Um, but also, I just wish that there was like one, all I need is one sensitivity dial in the options menu, and I feel like this game would be, it, I could tune it to the way that I like to aim, because even though I've played it on multiple different control setups, I find that none of them are satisfactory. I mean, they're, they all get the job done, but even when I plug it in, play it on the TV, and I have like a third party, like the Zelda controller, um, it's still it's still too sensitive. Like even the control sticks on that are too sensitive. So my favorite way to play it, I think, um, I play it most in handheld mode with the Joy-Cons attached, but I actually like playing it with the Joy-Cons detached, but with one Joy-Con in each hand. Um, I don't like attaching them to the black controller. I mean, it's fine, but I don't prefer that. And for some reason, I think just holding the, each Joy-Con in each hand, I don't, it might be like a placebo thing in my mind that's making me think that I'm better or that it, I'm thinking it's more precise and maybe it's really not. But there's something about that control setup that I like a little bit more than the other ones. But that being said, I've spent most of my time playing it with the Joy-Cons attached with the controller, you know, into the screen, um, which is perfectly fine. But the sensitivity is just a little too high i just kind of wish they would throw like give me just throw me a bone and give me one sensitivity slider and then i could really fine tune it to make it work because the joy cons are so sensitive that it makes this a little more difficult on switch and luckily i mean i know the layout of the game i know how everything works if i had never played this before and came to it for the first time on switch i probably would be pretty frustrated with this game a lot and maybe would have stopped playing it at a certain point. Um, mm, so okay. it's it's not, it's it's just a little too hard. I mean, I still recommend it because Resident Evil 4 is like great, but if you have the option to buy it on another console, which I mean, let's be real, it's now on every console ever, I'm pretty sure. Um, I would recommend getting it on something else unless you're just really after that portability factor, then the Switch version is fine. But the sensitivity is just a little too high for me to like recommended over other versions that I've played before. That matches up pretty well with what I've heard. I mean, let's just be honest. The joy cons are trash. Like they're trash <laughs> for any game where you need specificity. It's funny you mention this because I was actually struggling with my joy cons last night and I was playing a game that was not nowhere near as precise as you need to be with resident evil four. Uh, but I noticed like they just weren't, I mean, you know, they're okay if you need to go up left, right or down or something, but if you need to be specific and to use, like, degrees of movement as you would with a normal, like, uh, controller like that, they suck. Like, they're terrible. I don't like them at all. And any game that is, like, a shooter or anything where you got to be specific, I struggle with it just because they just don't have the same range of motion and the same sensitivity the way that, like, larger controllers do. So, yuck. Um, uh, quick, quick question. Do you ha did you mention the Pro Controller? Do you own a Pro Controller or you don't? I have, I don't know exactly what kind it is, but I have a controller, Patrick bought it, so I'm not sure what it is, but it's like, I don't know if it's made by Nintendo, but it is like a type of, it's not Nintendo's Pro Controller, I guess is what I'm trying to say here, but it's like a very similar one that has like, I think it has Zelda branding all over it. It might be, um, I can't remember the company's name, but it might be, or PDP Gaming, it might be them, um... I can't remember, but it's a controller that is very similar to the Pro Controller. It's just, I don't think it's the Nintendo one. Um, and is it even for the Switch, that, though, or was it for one of the other Nintendo systems? Like, it is for Switch? It's for the Switch, specifically, okay, yeah. Okay. Um, at least you, as far as I know it is. I mean, I'd be curious to see if that works to give it a try, because anytime that there's a game that requires specificity, I jump over to the Pro Controller, which, you know, you can also bring with you portably. I mean, you set up your Switch on a little stand or something, and then you can just use the 
per controller like a normal controller, which I've done before and it works well. Um, I can't I can't play any shooting game or anything like that without the pro controller because I think the controllers they're fine if you're doing puzzle games or playing P Cross or just you know something real simple like uh, Stardew Valley or something. But if you need to get specific, ugh, they're terrible. They're really terrible. Um, so I hear you. And I've, I've had other people say, like, if you d if this is your only way to play it, then play it. But if you can get it on a bigger system or a different system, do that. because Just because of the controls, uh, which makes a lot of sense to me. Um, but one thing that I wanted to bring up, which uh, I did not play this version, but I actually had several people reach out to me via Twitter and be like, hey, Brad, we know that Game Critics does accessibility. I really want to know is this a version that I can get as a deaf player because the previous versions did not have sound effects or visual cues or subtitles. And so they're like, Oh, does this, does this have it? And I'm like, well, I don't know. Let's find out. So I didn't buy it, but I did find, I got a hold of somebody who had this version and I was asking him questions to see if it was accessible. And it is super not, it is super not accessible. There's no subtitles, no visual cues. I mean, I really am surprised that Capcom has not done anything to this game other than port it. I really think the time is ripe for them to fucking add subtitles and just add a little bit of accessibility. Wouldn't take a whole lot of uh, money. Like, you wouldn't have to really re rework the game. I know that it's not just as simple as putting text on a screen. I know there's more to it than that. But, I mean, Capcom's a big company, and there's a lot of players out there who really need the subtitles. And I think that's just a really basic form of accommodation that we could do to people. So really disappointed to see that this version is still basically unplayable for people who can't hear. Very disappointed to hear that. Yeah, and that, it's, that's even surprising to me considering I remember whenever Resident Evil 6 came out, um, you know, that was a pretty divisive game and a lot of people were really quick to like shit all over it and say it was garbage. And like, I don't think it was great, but I think it was playable and it was like entertaining more often than not. But, like, a lot, what a lot of people don't realize is that after Resident Evil 6 came out, um, they added, I don't know if I would call them, like, straight-up accessibility options, but they added a ton of, like, camera control options, sensitivity options, field of view options. Like, they added so much to the options menu, like, month, like through patches, like, months after it came out, they just kept adding stuff. And I was really impressed about that because I bought it on the Xbox 360 at the time. And it seemed like every time I played it, there would be like a new kind of sensitivity slider option in the menu or like a new like head bob control option or a wider field of view option where you could like take the scale from zero to a hundred and like really fine tune every single thing, like the non-aiming turning, the aiming turning, the field of view, like everything to exactly how you wanted to play it. Um, and even like how offset the camera was from the character's shoulder and stuff like that. And I was super impressed that they the capcom kept patching that stuff in um like months after the game was released like you could tell that they were really taking a lot of the feedback seriously that they had heard about the game and were doing you know they obviously couldn't like rewrite the whole story of the game or whatever but they could just like adjust the stuff that they had control over so it is a shame to me that every time they port resident evil 4 to something because it's been ported to like 10 consoles since it came out that they really have done absolutely nothing as far as adding like better control options or subtitle options or you know like on-screen indicators for threats or like anything like that that could really lend a hand to um you know players that are disabled of any kind they just keep porting basically the exact same version across all the platforms it is kind of a bummer that they're not doing you know the bare minimum to try to make the game because this is like an absolute classic that like everybody should play and there's a whole you know there's a lot of people out there who are missing out on it because it's just not accessible to them yeah the people that i talked to were very disappointed and really frustrated because they're deaf players who have been you know of course they've heard about re4 just like everybody else i mean it's pretty much a landmark game that really impacted 
how third-person games were played since then. It's like it's like a high watermark. It's like it's a it's a touchstone, and it's fucking impossible to play if you can't hear monsters and you just die all the time and it's really frustrating. So, I think they are right to expect like the bare minimum accessibility subtitles, if nothing else, and little visual indicators that other developers have been doing for fucking years. So, I mean, I just I I realize it's not as simple as just plugging it in, but there's a lot of uh, port companies out there who are good at doing these things. And, you know, like, this kind of reminds me of when, uh, I think it was Activision, if I'm not mistaken, ported that fucking uh, Spyro the Dragon bullshit where, like, it didn't have subtitles originally, and when they ported it to PS4, like, just, you know, a little while ago, uh, still did not have subtitles. Everybody got pissed off. Everybody talked about it. And then they fucking added them. So it's like, it's not impossible. I just really think they need to put some some effort into it. And just saying, well, it didn't happen back then, so why should it happen now is not a fucking good excuse. So, I look, I love Capcom. I'm not anti-Capcom. They're probably my favorite uh, developer and publisher, so I love them, but they need to step the fuck up and, like, make these things accessible. It's just not acceptable. And even if games didn't happen back then, they need them now. So, uh, yeah. I mean, I, that's my rant for the day. I just, I, they need to step <laughs> up and do it. They gotta hire somebody. They got enough money, they can get it done. Yeah, I agree. It's a bummer that they're not putting any effort into this. Like, I don't know. It uh, it just kind of goes to show that it's, I don't know, that they're just, like, once you perhaps reach, like, a certain point of success that they just don't care about making anything accessible to people anymore, and it's a real bummer. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. So, anyway, uh, I don't really have anything to say on Resident Evil other than that. Any final thoughts, or should we move on? Um, I don't think I have any final thoughts. I actually didn't even mean to talk about it as much as I did, um, but I kind of, you know, got away from myself as I tend to do. But that's all I have to say. So we can uh, switch gears to you if you want to take the floor. All right, let's let's move on to me here. Uh, so we haven't had a regular show for like two or three weeks. I have like a jillion games saved up. So I kind of went through and was going over the script last night because, you know, we don't have all day. We can't record like for a week straight. So I was trying to like, condense my thoughts down. Um, so I think one of the most effective bang for my buck kind of things to do right now would be to talk about uh, a quick update on the Xbox One Game Pass, which I talked about a while ago. You remember I, I signed up for this? I told you that, right, Corey? Yeah, and didn't they they talked about this at E3, right? What did they do? Bring it to PC or something? Didn't they do some updates to it? Yeah, they've basically put out a kind of a super pass. I think it's called, uh, I want to say it's like Xbox game pass ultimate or something like that it's like a really generic name but basically <laughs> if you get the the top of the line version you get the xbox one game pass which includes all of like you know there's like 100 plus games like in a netflix style system where you download them you don't stream them which i think is actually a brilliant idea i don't want to stream anything um so download those games you can also get the pc version of game pass which has specifically pc games it's not just the xbox one games on your pc there's actual pc games there uh, so if you get the deluxe version, you get all those things, plus you get, uh, you know, live access to play online with your friends. Of course you do. Um, so that seems like a pretty good deal. I was not sold at first because I didn't think the value was quite there at the beginning, but I will say that there is quite a lot of value there now, and I did sign up for it last week, especially because a lot of brand new games are debuting on Game Pass, which to me was really the kicker because um, there was a couple games I wanted to play, which I will talk about in a second. Uh, and really, the only way to get those, unless you want to buy them, is to play on Game Pass. And so, for ten bucks a month, uh, was what I paid. I think it's going up to fifteen if you want the deluxe version. Uh, I mean, get paying ten bucks a month to get access to two brand new games, in addition to like ninety-eight other games that I might want to play. I mean, it's a pretty good deal. And you know, everybody who listens to this podcast knows that we are uh, GameFly horrors. 
So this is pretty similar to Gamefly, except for it's on your Xbox One. So I think this is a good program. I think it's a good program. I think it's better than PS Now, which is what uh, PS4 is doing. I don't like that program. I wish they would change it. Uh, but Xbox One is making a good move. So since we talked, I signed up for Xbox One Game Pass, looked at their list of games. Like There's like more than 100 games up there. A lot of them I had no interest in. A lot of them I had already played. A lot of them I was just like, whatever. But there was still a fair number of games up there where I was like, oh, I had my eye on that one and was waiting for a sale, but now I can just download it for free because I am <laughs> a Game Pass member. So I downloaded a bunch of games. It took me like two full days to download everything. And I went through a lot. I didn't go through all of them, but I went through a lot. And I'm just going to go through them one by one just really, really quickly. But before I do that, it's interesting. I noticed that when I was downloading these games and playing them, my level of engagement with these games was a lot lower and my level of excitement and my level of interest was a lot lower than if I had bought these games with my money or if I had bought them new. Um, and I noticed that I deleted them really quick. Like most of them, I was like, I put in like five, 10 minutes to be like, ah, delete this and get it out of here. Now, to be fair, these were games that I was not excited enough to buy the first time. And it was, it was kind of like, well, it's a maybe. So I'll get it on sale. And if I like it, great. If not, then I've only spent a couple bucks. So these games were already on the bubble of like, I probably might not like them anyway. So I don't want to make it sound like Game Pass makes me devalue games. But at the same time, <laughs> I will say that knowing that I got them free in Game Pass, I had very little hesitation in download or deleting anything that did not please me. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like with Gamefly where you get a game that sucks. You just stick it back in the envelope right away. You don't you don't waste time on it. So uh, that was something that I noticed. I, you know, and again, I think it's probably more the games than Game Pass itself. But that or maybe it's just me. Who knows? Um. One of the first games that I wanted to get Xbox Game Pass for was Void Bastards. Uh, this has come out from, I believe it's called Blue Manchu. It's a brand new studio, and they're made up of some pros who have done some other stuff. I can't remember what they've made at the time. I want to say it's like Bioshock or something like that. Some of those people from those studios made this new studio. It is a first-person shooter, but it's also a roguelike where you're in space, and there's also permadeath. You play like these disposable characters each one has like a weird personality quirk and you just get one at random the guy that i had he coughed because he was a smoker <laughs> so like every every couple minutes he would just like do a really loud smoke cough and then all the enemies and the level would like know exactly where i was and they would come to fucking kill me because he couldn't stop coughing uh there's other people who were like um you know they have just various powers some can run a little faster some uh, will will be invisible in certain conditions. I mean, it's like, you know, just a random generation for your character. But the point of it is you got to go to these different ships, collect items, and make it to the end of uh, whatever your goal is. Uh, but you just go from ship to ship to ship, scavenging supplies, doing a lot of first-person shooting. I will say that Void Bastards gives a very great first impression because it is drawn in a comic book style, and it's very sharp-looking. It's colorful, it's bright, the lines are thick and bold. When you're playing the game, it looks like that. It's got a really cool animation style where they have removed certain frames of animation. So it kind of looks like they're doing like stop motion animation when they're walking around. Like it looks it looks great. Like looking at it in trailers and stuff, very, very appealing. And the first couple sessions you have with it are probably going to be pretty good uh, first impressions. But I found that it got really repetitive and I was kind of just doing the same thing over and over. It felt like this game maybe came out of the oven six months too soon. And I wish there was like more to it than there was because... After I figured out how the game worked, I was just collecting stuff and just doing that over and over and over, and it just wasn't really super exciting. So I bailed on it, deleted that one, glad that I got it on Game Pass and didn't actually pay for it. So that was uh, kind of a whiff. 
Uh, and if you want to jump in anytime, feel free to jump in. I got like four or five, six games here, so I'm just going to keep talking, but uh, feel free to stop me at any point, Corey. Roger that. Uh, the other one that I was really excited about was called Outer Wilds. This one is getting a lot of critical buzz. Um, it's kind of like a Groundhog's Day game where you kind of relive the same loop over and over. You play an alien who has a little spaceship, and you're in a very small universe. You can fly to any of the planets, and you, there's there's a mystery going on, and it's up to you to go to whatever planet you want to go to, find whatever clues you can find, and every time you, you live and then die and then live again, like you remember what you found, and so by repeating this Groundhog Day scenario over and over, you will eventually figure out the secrets of whatever's going on and then, I don't know, get to the end of the big big story. Um, it's kind of cool because I think we don't get a lot of Groundhog Day games. Um, and to be fair, I don't know that it's really easy to do those because I don't know about you, but I get tired of those things. I don't like doing a lot of things over and over and over. But this one seemed interesting. Uh, I don't believe there's any combat, so you just fly around and explore. Uh, you can die. I mean, you can like fall off a cliff and get destroyed by energy or something, but there's no combat, which I thought was a plus. Um, and it seemed pretty cool, but I got to say controlling your spaceship is finicky as a motherfucker. And it's really <laughs> weird. They implement real physics in the game. And so you have to like actually genuinely be good at flying your ship, which I think was kind of a mistake because I don't think the draw of this game is flying your ship i think the draw is flying to planets and like seeing what's on each planet and like one's a water planet one's like a forest planet one's like a i don't know like a danger planet with spikes and poison or who knows what right so like the the draw is seeing these planets and like figuring out the mystery the draw is not trying to land on your fucking landing gear and if you mess it up you like your ship goes ass over tea kettle and you go rolling <laughs> off a cliff that's not the fun part of this fucking game and it's really finicky to fly the ship so I, I was kind of into the mystery, but then once I started trying to go to some of the other planets and just, like, really fucking it up, like, really fucking up the landing, really fucking up, like, the orbit of where I was trying to go and, like, overshooting my goals, and I was like, this is frustrating and it's not fun. Like, this is not, this is not why I came to this game. This is, I don't want this to be a spaceship sim. I want this to be, like, an unraveling the mystery sim. So I just stopped playing it. I couldn't deal with the fucking crazy ship controls. It was a, it was a drag. Were you going to say something? Uh, I just want to say this is a bummer because I am super interested. This is one of those games that I've, I don't really know anything about, but I've only heard a bunch of people on Twitter be like, oh my God, this is nothing. This is like nothing I've ever played before. And so I am like super interested in it. But what you've said, just like put a tiny, not like a wet blanket, but like a blanket that like the corner has been dipped in some water. Like that is now on me. So <laughs> a I'm, a little, I'm a little, <laughs> so I'm just like a little bit sad because I want, I still want to play this and I hope that I will someday. Um, I don't have the Xbox game pass full disclosure, but, um, but I'm, I'm a little, I don't know. I guess you've brought me down to earth a little bit on my expectations for it, which is probably a good thing. Um, but I'm hoping that when I get around to it, I will enjoy it. Maybe, I don't know, I will be a better pilot than you, or maybe I will hate it and bounce off of it just like you did. <laughs> well, if you get to it, let me know, because I definitely think there's there's something good here. Like, I was kind of grooving on the vibe that they were putting out. It just was really strange that they would spend so much time on the physics of the spaceship and really make you do that part of it, because... I just, I was not finding any fun in that aspect of it. I just was really disappointed. I, it was preventing me from getting any of the good stuff, and that is a problem. But, I mean, a lot of people like it. It's, uh, it's probably going to be in a lot of people's top tens this year uh, from, what, from the way they're talking about it. So I wouldn't be surprised. But 
I don't think I'm going to come back to it. I just I couldn't put up with that ship. Um, next thing was something I've been wanting to try for a while. It's called Westerado Double Barreled, put out by um, Adult Swim Games, who do a lot of really cool games. This is kind of, a, I mean, it's a, a very small-scale Western t tale, 2D, pixel-based, kind of a top-down sort of thing. You play a cowboy whose family has been murdered, and you need to figure out who was the murderer, and you only have, like, an outline of a person on your menu, and you don't have any details. And so every time you walk around and do a quest for somebody, they'll be like, oh, my cows are out of the pen. Can you please bring the cows back in the pen? Or, oh, there's outlaws up at the cemetery. Can you please clean it out? And, like, when you come back to the quest giver, they'll be like, well, I don't know who killed your family, but I know that he had a black hat and then like the black hat will fill in in the outline on your on your menu and then the next person will be well he had stripy pants and that's all i know and so like <laughs> the pants will fill in so you got to do like you know five or six quests or whatever to get the full picture of what your suspect looks like and then you need to go and find that person in the world and it's a very small world so it's not huge but um you need to go find that person and accuse them and say you know i think you're the person who killed my family and you know I, apparently I, i'm assuming you just do like a shootout or something it's a very small scale game. Uh, I mean, the whole game is probably like one eighth the size of the original NES Legend of Zelda or something. Like it's like you know, ten screens wide and fifteen screens high or something. Like it's very small, very small. Um, and I like the vibe and the humor of it, but I gotta say, I bailed out of this game really fast because they want you to do a lot of gunfighting in this game, which makes sense because it's a Western themed game. But the gunfighting is fucking terrible. It is terrible. <laughs> you have to, like, pull out your gun, cock the gun, and then load it. So it's like a three-step system, which is fine in and of itself. But, like, it's a 2D game, and so it's hard to tell who's going to hit you and who's not because you can see your character on one side of the screen. You see another person on the other side of the screen. And everybody's kind of, like, moving up and down. Like, they're kind of, like, maneuvering per position. But then it's like you don't know when they're going to fire. And it's like, am I in the line of fire? Am I not in the line of fire? How do I know when they're going to shoot? How do I know when to dodge? Like, I don't know. Like, I just found the whole thing, like, super kludgy, and I was dying all the time. And I was like, oh, my God. The fun of this game is doing these silly quests and figuring out who did the murder. The fun of this game is not trying to fuck with this bullshit gunfighting system because it's <laughs> crap. It's terrible. So I was really disappointed. I'm glad I didn't buy it. So I bailed out. I got about halfway. And, I mean, anytime I wasn't shooting somebody, I thought it was really fun. But when we got to the shooting, it was like, oh, fuck, here's another... I'm just going to die. I'm just going to die. I'm going to have to start over again because this is terrible because I'm not, I, I never win the shooting. I never did. Like I just, I couldn't get on, uh, couldn't find the groove. So I bailed out pretty quick. Very disappointed about that one. Uh, a lot of people were telling me to go check out Operencia, the stolen Sun, which comes from, I think Zen studios who make all the pinball games, which are pretty cool. This is a first person, I mean, kind of like a dungeon crawl, sort of like an Etrian Odyssey, sort of a combat system where you have a party of like three or four people, but they're only icons in the bottom of your screen. And then you look at your enemies and they're like standing in a line, kind of like Fantasy Star, kind of like Dragon Warrior, uh, kind of like um, some of the Persona games do that too. I really don't like that combat system. I really don't like the way that that looks. I don't really don't like the way it plays out. I think it's a really boring combat system. Uh, but it was cool because it was kind of an Etrian Odyssey thing where you're kind of exploring dungeons, but instead of being 2D or top down or anything like it was like 3D rendered. And so it looked like you were in a world and instead of being 
in corridors or hallways, it would be like, oh, there's like a little rock here that you have to walk around. Or, oh, here's some bushes that I can't cross into because they're too dense. And so like instead of just having a bunch of like a labyrinth made of walls and left turns and right turns and stuff, like it looked like a natural environment, which was cool. But I just don't like the combat system anymore. I'm really done with that combat and I don't want to do it. And I bailed out pretty quick. I'm like, I'm just not in for this. And of course, these games are all like a million hours long. And I'm sure this one was too. So I'm like... I don't have the patience or the <laughs> desire. But if you want an Etrian style game that has like 3D world rendering and has a, you know, pretty cool kind of a different sort of a vibe. I mean, it looks like a well done game. Just not, not for me, not for me. And deleted that one. Uh, the last one I want to mention really quickly. I've heard about Cluster Truck for a long time. Have you ever played Cluster Truck, Corey? <laughs> I haven't, but I see it on various storefronts every once in a while and laugh at how dumb the name is. It is a dumb name, uh, but I've heard people say it was really good and that I should check it out, and I checked it out, and I want to say, you guys are crazy. Well, this is not a good game at all. I think it's, this game is terrible. Uh, you, there's no story. You just play as a, a first-person icon. There's, there's nothing on screen. Like You just see the world from first person, and there's like a million trucks that are driving in front of you, and you must jump from the top of each truck to the next truck because reasons like i don't know why you're doing it i guess just because it's fun to jump but spoiler jumping in first person is never good it's never fun it doesn't work <laughs> and i was constantly missing jumps and i was just like jumping from truck to truck that's all you're doing is just jumping um and to do that jumping in first person was something that i did not want to engage in i got angry at this game like seven minutes in and i'm like fuck this i'm done with this i don't want to play this anymore so uh cluster truck was not for me again glad i played it on game pass gave it a try deleted it nothing really lost uh, very glad I didn't buy it. So I guess in that sense, Game Pass is really uh, fulfilling its duty and kind of doing the same thing that Gamefly does for us. Um, but that's it. Those are my first batch of games. I'll probably go through a bunch more, uh, probably delete a lot more. But uh, unfortunately, none of those were really big wins for me. But I am glad that I tried them, and I am still very positive on Game Pass. Good, good. I'm glad it's sort of in a sense, maybe paying for itself, even if you are not super satisfied with anything you've played so far. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, I think it's really cool to be able to dip in and just try a bunch of things. And, I mean, it's even one better than Gamefly because you don't need to wait for the thing to arrive in the mail. I mean, which is fine, but being able to download this stuff and just really quickly go through some things that you may have been curious about is really cool. So, yeah, I definitely don't regret it at all. And, you know, they've got new stuff coming every month. And, and with how busy we are, I'm, I'm not really going to get through all this stuff anytime soon. So, yeah, I'm digging it. I think it's a good system, and uh, I think they're onto something here. So this is this is thumbs up. I mean, thumbs down to the games, but thumbs up to the system. So <laughs> I like that very much. I will I will continue to subscribe for the foreseeable future. So especially especially with all the E3 announcements, there's a lot of stuff that's actually going to be debuting on Game Pass, which is even more reason to keep it. So definitely looking forward to um, stuff like Creature in the Well, um, Dead Static Drive, uh, a couple other things that I really took a, a notice of during last E3 uh, show that we did. So want to definitely keep uh, keep an eye on those things from Game Pass. So anyway, let's move on. Let's go back to you, Corey. I've talked for a million years. You have just got days gone. I believe you game flight it, correct? That is correct. They sent it to me after Metro Exodus wouldn't play on my PlayStation. They sent that to me next. Oh, oh so okay. So I guess, number one, you never got Metro Exodus to work, right? Nope. I sent in a support thing for them. And the funny thing is whenever you... Because uh, I've never... Even when I've had problems with Gamefly... Their support system is, like, generally pretty useful and easy. And this time around, I, like, submitted, you know, like, my game is not working thing. 
And they give you the option of like, well, do you want us to resend you the game or do you want the next one on your queue? And I selected for them to resend me Metro. And then the next day they email me and they're like, Days Gone has shipped. And I'm like, why even give me the option? Like, if you're not going to send me the game that I asked for. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. Okay. All right. Well, maybe we'll come back to Metro. Maybe we won't. But ironically, Gamefly has sent me Days Gone as well. I've got it sitting right here. So I haven't played it yet, but I'm very curious to get your take on it. So um, fill us in. What is Days Gone and what are your thoughts on it so far? Okay. So... Days Gone, full disclosure, I was not, like, super pumped about playing because I've heard a very, um, just kind of, like, middle-of-the-road opinions about it. And, you know, it's kind of not really my jam in general because, to preface it, it is a PlayStation 4 exclusive, a Sony exclusive, um, open-world game. It's a zombie game, so you already, like, pretty much know how I'm going to feel about it. Those are two things that I, like, rarely get behind. And... It's an open world game where you play as this like guy who's part of this motorcycle crew. So he's kind of like a tattooed biker dude. Um, the game takes place in Oregon. So it's very woodsy. You know, there's greenery everywhere. It's not like an urban, you know, New York City thing. Um, a zombie apocalypse has happened. You're a biker dude. You ride motorcycles. Um, it's a third person shooter. There's some stealth elements. Um At the beginning of the game, your, like, wife uh, gets, like, stabbed. That's sort of, like, the opening cutscene. The main character, who is the ridiculously named Deacon St. John, uh, (laughs) I think the developers just threw a bunch of names to a hat, pulled three of them out, and that's what they went with. Um, He uh, kind of, uh, like, it kind of sets up this, like, um, sort of like uh, I Am Legend scenario where, like, he's trying to get his stabbed wife to this uh, helicopter that's on top of this building, and then they get to the helicopter, and the guy's like, oh, we only have room for two of you, and it's it's both of them, and then there's another guy, I think it's, like, her brother or, like, another guy in the biker gang or somebody that is there, and so to alleviate the stress, um, basically the main character, uh, Deacon, sends her off with the medical crew on the helicopter and doesn't go with her, doesn't send the other guy with her because the other guy's injured too. So he stays behind to take care of the other guy while the love of his life gets shipped off. Um, It's a very uh, abrupt opening because it doesn't characterize anybody very well. It just kind of opens and it's like, oh, here's a stabbed woman. And you're just like immediately supposed to feel like connected to them. And I did not at all. So I didn't really understand what was going on. And then the game sort of opens up. Oh, and then it does like the fast forward two years thing. So then it's like, all right, two years later. And then it's like kind of like the same situation. Because at the beginning of the game, I guess like the whole zombie outbreak had just kind of started. And then the two years later, Mark, is when you take over and you're just kind of like, I would call it reclaimed to earth, but you're like in the woods. So there's not really like any urban stuff to be reclaimed. You're just like driving around in the woods and it's you and the other guy. So he survived um, his name. God damn it. I don't understand the fucking names in this game. I, they must be like biker names or whatever. Cause the other guy, um, <laughs> so Deacon St. John calls the other guy like boozer a lot as in like beer, boozer. like booze. So he either calls him Boozer or Booze Man, which is so cringy. I think I get embarrassed for the development team every time I hear the lead character say the name Booze Man out loud. Like, are we playing, like, 
a Mega Man game among alcoholics, like now you're facing Booze Man level. Like, I don't know. So it's just like the the whole like character, like to start the game off, the whole characterization of everybody involved is very poor. Um, Like, I don't really have a reason to be like, like a zombie apocalypse is not enough of a reason to be rooting for people. Like not, especially because we've had like 8 million of these games beforehand. Like if this were the first zombie apocalypse, maybe if this were the 10th zombie apocalypse uh, zombie apocalypse game ever then maybe i would care about these people but this is no longer there are no stakes here like there's no longer stakes for me to care because this type of game has been done over and over and over and over again and i'm like not the target audience for it yet here i am playing it because i guess i want to give it a chance or whatever so most of the game it's basically just like like the biggest the biggest thing I can take away from this, and I've played it for probably about three or four hours now, so I've played it you know a substantial amount of time. Um, the biggest takeaway I can get from this game is that it it ha- it has no reason to exist. I don't know why it exists. It doesn't make a case for itself to exist. It j- it's just a buy. It's just bare bones by the numbers open world game where you have different weapon types you ride your motorcycle everywhere there's human enemies and there's zombie enemies um there are different home bases you can go to there's a home base that gives you good motorcycle upgrades there's another home base that gives you good gun upgrades um i have read that later on you get another base that has both kinds of upgrades Um, i'm getting i'm getting confused you're saying you're saying bases are you saying that you need to establish bases to get all these things no they're already established so you don't have to like build them or anything but it's just kind of like two like safe zones that you can go to with people that give you missions so you got to travel so like one like like a town or something like a little like a little enclave has guns and they're like the gun town and then you go somewhere else and they're like the, I don't know, the food town or something? Like, is that what you're saying? Yeah, except for instead of food, it's like the bike town. It's like the motorcycle town and then the gun town, if you will. That's weird. So, okay, okay, all right. <laughs> I just was like, why? Why why is there so many different... Okay, whatever, keep talking. Yeah, I don't know. And the game kind of sets it up as if, like, the two, like, towns are kind of, like, opposing factions in a way, and I don't really know if that's true or not. Like, there comes a point with one mission where you get these, like, supplies and you have to decide, like, which camp you want to give them to. And I didn't really care about anybody in any of the camps, so I just decided to go with the motorcycle camp because, like, I wanted a better motorcycle. So, like, I, I don't know, gave it to them, and then I don't, I don't even know what happened because, like, the game makes you think you're going to give it to them and then, like, get all these motorcycle upgrades. And then, like, once you give it to them, the guy is like, oh, we'll go see the mechanic for your upgrades. And then you go and you have to, like, buy the upgrades. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, I guess maybe he must have paid you to buy them i didn't i couldn't really follow so did, it, did he just like unlock the upgrades so that now you can buy them like is that what happened like they're just well, available for you now it wasn't even that they were unlocked because they were already there i think he must have just paid me and maybe i wasn't paying attention but i thought that i was going to go and he was going to be like okay thanks for the supplies here's your brand new bike but instead it was just like here's all the stuff you could already buy five minutes ago but like maybe you have some extra money to buy it so I don't, it was very confusing and I don't really, I'm having a hard time following just like really basic stuff like that in this game. But I mean, it's basically just like, I feel like it's trying really hard to be the last of us with motorcycles, but it's not like, and I'm someone who is not even in love with the last of us. Like I've spoken 
time and time again on the show about how I think it's overrated. I think it's a good game, but I think it's overrated. And I don't think it's the storytelling masterpiece that everybody else thinks it is. But this game is like kind of trying to go for that, but it doesn't have like any of the emotional punch that The Last of Us has. It doesn't have good characterization of like anyone in the story. Like I don't care about the main character. I don't care about his friend. The guy who runs the first base you go to is like a right wing, like don't take my guns away nut job. So obviously I don't care about them. Um, the second camp you get to, there's like one kind of like older lady who's pretty cool. And she's like the only like, person that comes close to being a well-written character in the game because she's kind of like a like i'm an old bad bitch fuck you like you know do the job kind of woman and i like that because she's very like you know mission and objective focused uh, but even then she's not like super duper well written and it's just like it's kind of like that open world thing where it's pulling me into a very slight trance where i am playing it i'm not i i don't hate it but there's n absolutely nothing about it that is unique or significant or makes a case for why it should exist or that sets it apart from a million other open world games that I've played because it has everything that every other game has. It has open world exploration. It has main quests. It has side quests. It, ha it doesn't have cars, but it has motorcycles. So like it's kind of on the same page. It has different weapon types. It has weapon upgrades. It has merchants where you can buy guns, where you can buy ammo. It has mechanics where you can upgrade your ammo. It has stealth where you can hide in the bushes. It has third-person shooting. It has melee combat. The melee weapons are breakable, so you have to find them on the fly. And if you don't, you can use your fists and your knife. And it's just like there's nothing about it that justifies it, its existence. And, I mean, it's like a perfectly functional game. Like, there, I haven't encountered anything with it that's like game breaking or buggy or you know i'm playing on easy difficulty level i think when i started there were four to choose from i chose the easiest one i've only died like a couple times so i mean i wouldn't call it easy easy but it's easy enough and it's just like i like i just can't imagine like it just kind of makes me sad to think that a an exclusive sony studio that these people that developed the game sat down in their boardroom and they were like all right we got to make a big exclusive game for PlayStation. Like, what are we going to do that's really going to knock this out of the park? And then all they did was make the same exact game that I've seen over and over and over and over again with, like, nothing. Maybe they thought the motorcycle hook was going to set it apart from other games, but so far it hasn't because even riding the motorcycles isn't that exciting. Like, it's not fun. It's The motorcycles are a little bit hard to control, um, there are these fucking bullshit snipers that are, uh, that uh, appear every once in a while on the map and they have like, you know, the PlayStation 2 era, like bright red laser sights so that you know they're about to aim at you. Sure. They, they shoot you off your goddamn motorcycle with 100% precision every time you ride by them and it fucking pisses me off more than anything else in the game because it's like... This classic, like, bullshit PlayStation 2 era, like, enemies that have absolutely flawless aim while you're riding on your goddamn motorcycle around the fucking map. And it's so annoying because once they shoot you off your bike, you can't just get back on it and ride because they'll shoot you off of it again. And it's just, like, you have to, like, dodge the bullets and roll out of the way and, like, kill everything else that's after you. And it's just, like, a fucking mess. And I just... I don't... I don't know why this game exists. Like... It's perfectly functional, but it's so pedestrian that 
it's not making a case for itself in any department for why it should exist. And I can already tell that it's just going to keep devolving into, you know, ride your motorcycle five minutes across the map, get talked to a person for this mission, ride it five minutes the other direction, uh, shoot these five people in this camp, ride it five minutes back to the person you got the mission from, get another mission, ride it five minutes another direction, kill, you know, these 10 zombies in this camp. It's just so repetitive and it's so boring. I mean, it's functional enough to play and I haven't like rage quitted or anything and I'll probably play it some more because it's not terrible, but it's just like not, it's totally irrelevant. Like I don't, I don't understand how this was supposed to be like the next big Sony exclusive game because it's just so pedestrian and so unremarkable in every way. I just very, I like, I, I didn't expect to like it, but I'm just really disappointed that it's not doing anything unique in any shape or form within it. Yeah, I heard, I, I suspected. I mean, I, I buzz for this one hasn't been good. And I mean, I got it from Gamefly. To be honest, I forgot it was even on my queue because I just wasn't really like looking forward to it or anything. I'll give it a shot. Um, but yeah, I expect my my impressions are probably going to be similar to yours. I just I'm really over the whole travel time as a mechanic. Like it was exciting when we first were able to do it in video games um, way back in the day. But it's not exciting anymore. It just feels like a waste of time. Um, and like hearing you describe the quest of going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, I was already getting fatigued just listening to that. <laughs> um, so, okay. So this, I don't have anything to follow up on, but I, I am feeling a little bit bad right now because I have two more games to talk about and spoiler, neither one is good. So we've oh, had, no. we've had a phenomenally negative installment uh. of the podcast. I'm so sorry, folks. I know that people like to mix the good with the bad. I like to mix the good with the bad. Uh, I guess it just happened that we just ended up... I mean, Resident Evil 4 was, like, uh, mediocre. I mean, it was, it is what it is, although we did kind of rant about the accessibility. But I guess I'm sorry to say that we're not going to have any super positive... Uh, any positive uh, thoughts on games today. I apologize, folks. Did well, not plan it the that saving, way. The saving grace is that the new Hitman mission is good. <laughs> okay, that's true. That's true. We had one... One tiny little bright spot in our in our, our dark starry night here, but okay, let's just let's just move on because there's nothing that I can do to make this uh, a a good thing when it's really a bad thing. Let's just talk about it. So first game that I want to bring up is Observation. I know I told you a little bit about this um, off of the podcast, but let me talk about it for the show here. Observation coming from published by Devolver Digital, uh, and it is a one like the person who covered for us at Game Critics, Jared Johnston, uh, he said it's one more in the like broken down space station genre, and I agree that that genre is getting pretty full these days. There's been a lot of games where you are figuring out what happened to a broken space station, you're on a broken space station, you're trying to escape from a broken space station. That's a pretty rich vein for developers to explore these days. This is one more of those. Um, Jared thought that it was the best of the genre. I strongly disagree with his uh, evaluation. Basically, the, the hook to observation is that you play the AI program of the space station. So you are not a person. You are an AI program. Uh, there is at least one person who is left alive on the station. She needs your help. And your name is Sam. It stands for, like, station assistant 
something starts with M. <laughs> I don't know what it stands for. Uh, but basically, she calls you Sam all the time. And so she'll be like, Sam, the radar relay is down. Can you please reorient the radar? And you're like, yes, I can do that. And so you, you know, it brings up like a mini game. It's basically a string of mini games where you're kind of doing this really boring thing um, multiple times in order to like reboot the radar system or you're rebooting the oxygen system or you're unlocking a door. Uh, all of the mini games I thought were phenomenally boring and just really just not fun to do. And you end up doing a lot of them like fairly often. Um, the other part to the game is like you are observing the world two different ways either you're either inside the video cameras which are installed in every room each room of the station has like three cameras and so you can like look at various angles and kind of see things in the room you're also able to go inside of a small little drone which kind of flies around the station in case you need to do something inside uh, a place that the camera can't see or if you need to go into space and fix something on the outside of the station you can fly outside in the drone and do that uh, these are probably, I mean, this aspect I felt like was really a missed opportunity because what you end up doing as the camera and usually as the drone too, is you're just looking for something. You're just looking for something. You generally don't know exactly where it is. You sometimes you don't even know what it looks like and you end up just spending a lot of time looking through cameras, hoping something's going to catch your eye. If you happen to look at a thing and your view is close enough to the thing, there might be a little outline to say, oh, this is a thing you can interact with. But you have to be fairly close. And if you're not looking in the right direction, there's no indicator that there's something over there. And sometimes the things you're looking for blend into the background really well. Like, I'm not going to call it a pixel hunt, but it feels sometimes like a pixel hunt, um, the way that you're looking for something. Like, they'll be like, oh, Sam, find the schematic for the door lock mechanism. And I'm like, where the fuck is that? And what does it look like? I don't know. And so I spent a lot of time looking around at, like, Eventually, it turns out that it's a piece of paper that's taped to a wall, and it's, like, behind a laptop or something, and so you had to, like, <laughs> look around and then zoom your camera in and then scan it, and I'm like, okay, this is ridiculous. Why was this not in my databanks? Why did you not tell me where it was? Why did I not know what it looked like? So there's a lot of just, like, looking around for stuff where you just don't know what you're doing, and it's really, really, really boring. Um, but the thing that really killed it for me, like, oh, that was okay, because I was curious in the story to see what's going on, because, spoilers, something weird's going on. It's not just a broken down spaceship, but there's also <laughs> spooky stuff. Uh, and I was curious to see where that was going to go to, but what happens is the developers do not trust their own premise. And so whenever there's something dramatic happening, the developers will rip you out of your perspective. Like, you're supposed to be an AI trapped in the mainframe looking through cameras. That's who you are. But if something's going on, they will take you out of that and just show you like a, a, um, an angle that there's no way you could have seen. Like you'll have a very dramatic angle of the survivor doing something or she'll be like, you know, just looking at you in a way that there's no way for you to look. You don't get to choose to follow her around. Like it would have been more effective, I think, if you knew something was happening and then you as the person had to kind of navigate through the cameras to follow the, the survivor. That would have been pretty cool. But no, they don't trust you to do that. They don't trust you to get it done. So like... Control gets ripped away from you. You see stuff that there's no way you should be able to see it. You see stuff that you don't know is really happening. Um, and they just destroy their whole premise of you being the AI trapped in the machine, which I think is a really, really, really bad idea. So I got really tired of it. I think the whole game is like maybe eight hours long. I got sick of it by four hours long and I didn't want to play anymore. So I bailed on that pretty hard. I do not think this is the best of the broken down space station genre. For me, that's still Tacoma. I think Tacoma is fabulous. Um, did you ever play Tacoma, Corey? Did we talk about it? We did, didn't we? 
Yeah, I played Tacoma and we talked about it and I really liked it. Okay, yeah, I agree. Tacoma was wonderful. So I would recommend Tacoma over Observation. Um, I, I, I really disliked Observation. I think it's really um, just not a very well put together game. Not very interesting. It's an interesting idea, but they do not capitalize. And full, dis- full disclosure as to spoilers, um, I just wanted to know what happened. So I got uh, a walkthrough and I read about what happened at the end. And I got to say, I'm glad I didn't stick around because the ending seemed really stupid to me. <laughs> so I'm glad I did not waste my time just, just ha- holding out for, for a little twist at the end. So I, I disliked Observation greatly. Did not care for it. Um, the second thing that I'm going to summarily dismiss right now is The Sinking City, which comes out from Frogwares. I think it's actually available yesterday. So it's only been out for like one day. And this is a detective game. It's kind of an open world game. It's third person, also some action game. And you play a detective going to a weird city that is populated by mutants and crazy people and people that are going uh, through a lot of mental distress. And this is set in the like Call of Cthulhu universe. So this was um, a game I've been looking forward to for quite some time. I know we talked about Call of Cthulhu earlier, and you played Call of Cthulhu uh, also, didn't you, Corey? I did. So that was the game that came out first. And I'm like, well, this was just okay. But I really think that Sinking City is going to be the, the humdinger because Ooh. Frogwares makes the Sherlock Holmes games. And the Sherlock Holmes games are awesome. They're very, very good. They're way better than they have any rights to be. So I'm like, that's amazing. I want to be a detective. I want to do some Cthulhu stuff. And Frogwares seems like they can get it done. Here's a, here's a hint. They don't get it done. They, oh, really no. do not, they really do not get it done. This game is terrible. It is terrible. Um, I'm really disappointed because I was so excited. So basically, like I said, they they make a lot of like weird rookie mistakes, and they start doing things that they don't generally do as a studio, and I don't understand why. Um, if they had taken their Sherlock Holmes, Sherlock Holmes formula of points on a map that you travel between, limiting your interaction to just one or two rooms, having a lot of cool puzzle elements to put together... That would have been fine. Like, I, that's all I wanted. I just wanted that game, but stick some tentacle monsters in it. I would have been totally happy. <laughs> Instead, what they do is they make it a third-person game where you're wandering around an open world. There is nothing in the world except for travel time. Uh, fast travel points are few and far between. And nothing happens to you when you're walking around. So there's no real point to even having an open world. They also add in third-person combat. Your, your character controls like a fucking maniac. It's like he's wearing ice skates all the time, <laughs> and I don't know... I don't know why. Like, I don't know why. He controls like shit. There's... The combat is awful because the monsters move around a lot, and it's really hard to hit them because aiming is really janky, and I just... The whole combat thing is really distasteful and really unpleasant. I, it's the kind of game where the gunplay is so bad... You end up meleeing everything to death because that's the only way you know you're going to hit something. <laughs> uh, so I dislike that. And then there's a lot of time spent doing really menial, boring stuff. Like, go to a location, you ask somebody about something, and they don't want to give you information, but they're like, yeah, go to the archive. And so, like, you end up going to an archive, even in places where it wouldn't make any sense. Like, I go to a hospital. Hey, did you guys bring in a guy with an axe wound? I'm looking for that guy. Oh, I'm too busy. Go in the archive. Well, if he's here now... It wouldn't be in the archives. It would be, like, in your files. I mean, okay, whatever. You go to the archives, and there's just, like, this weird fucking interface where you have to select three things from a list where it's, like, select the location of the city, select the time period, select the, the topic, 
and then you do like a Google search. And then if there's anything in there, then it'll come up. And it's like you're Google searching these file cabinets. And it's I'm, it's really awkward. I didn't understand what I was even doing for the first couple times. Like I just they don't explain how to do it. And it's just it's really unintuitive. Finally figured out. And it's just it's just a thing to do to get your next lead. Like it's there's nothing exciting about it. You don't really have an aha moment. I mean, it's just like, oh, OK, now I got to go over here. And then you travel around some more. Oh, it's just really poor. They just uh, there's the other thing about the, the the design of it is like there's really weird things happening where you go inside a house and like the stuff inside the house restocks every time you leave the house. So if you need bullets, you go inside a house, you grab the bullets, you leave the house, you come back inside. The bullets are there again and you just go back and forth <laughs> and you just like within five minutes. I had like max bullets, max health kits, which leads me to the question of like, why do they even bother giving you a limit if these things just respond so easily? Just give your guy a re regenerating health bar and give him infinite bullets because, like, it would save me the trouble of, like, going to collect this stuff because it's not adding anything valuable to the gameplay. And the buildings are so frustrating. Um, you'll go to a location and you're supposed to find clues, right? And the location icon will turn green when you found all the clues. And, like, I'm inside this room and it's not a big room and I'm, like, looking. I can't find anything. Uh, looking around, looking on the floor, looking under desks, looking behind furniture looking all around like i just i can't find the clues and i just don't even know what to do like i'm just like searching and searching and searching and searching and searching uh i mean going through the same place like five six seven eight times can't find the clue and i just don't know what i'm missing or what's going on uh which is not great game design for a game that's supposed to be about you being a detective and the other thing that's really weird and that i talked to uh i'm not handling the review for this i'm just talking about it on the podcast but dan weisenberger is doing the review for us at game critics and i was kind of comparing notes with him he does not like it very much either and i was asking him i'm like hey dan when you're going through these buildings did you notice that like most of the ceilings have holes in them and that if you go up to the next floor it becomes a hole in the floor that you drop down but there's no real reason for it there's nothing in there like what's going on and he's like oh well there's only six different building models in the entire game and so sometimes they'll lock a door and you'll need to drop down through a hole in the ceiling. But if you're in a building where nothing's locked, the hole is still there. And I'm like, oh. So they just, like, recycle these buildings to, like, this entire city. And there's, like, it's so strange to go in these buildings where there's, like, holes in every ceiling. Like, it's such a weird, why is this here? Am I supposed to do something with it? Oh, it doesn't mean anything because this is not the building that has a locked door. That's uh, just so cheap and weird and cut and paste. It just does not feel good. None of this game feels good. None of it feels good. And I'm really, really disappointed because Frogwares has done such a tremendous job on the Sherlock Holmes series. I love that series. I think it's great. And to see them completely stop everything that they do well and totally change all their methodology to do something that they clearly are not good at. I don't know why they, I don't know why they did that. I don't understand that choice. I wish they had just stuck with what they knew well and just plugged in Cthulhu. It would have been great, but this game is not that game. Uh, I'm going to give it one more shot today, but I'm like nine tenths of the way towards bailing on it. I just, I, I'm not clicking with this at all and I'm really, really disappointed. So this is something I was looking forward to for a long time and it is a bomb. I am not digging this at all. Mm, that is a bummer. Yeah. I mean, and I play all the Cthulhu games. I love the, I love the Cthulhu stuff, but I'm not going to sit through 20 hours of jank because I want to get to the end and oops, it's Cthulhu again. Of course it's Cthulhu. Of course it is. There's no one else it's going to be. And I don't need to sit through 20 hours of this stuff. So I, it's a bummer. I was really pulling for the guys. I like their studio. I like their other work. I just, I don't understand anything about this game. I don't know why it is this way. So maybe it's their B team or something. Who knows? But I don't recommend this. And in fact, 
I thought for sure that Call of Cthulhu was going to be the, the runner-up, but actually it turns out to be the winner of the Cthulhu races this year. So if you want a Cthulhu game, Call of Cthulhu is your jam. Uh, feel free to give a pass to the Sinking City. Well, is that it then? That is it then. I have nothing else to say. <laughs> <laughs> I have clearly, nothing to say back to this. So clearly I don't, you I don't, don't either. Know. Okay, so that's fine. Uh, all right, we put in a decent effort here. I say we wrap up the show. Are you fine with that, Corey? I would love to do that, yes. All right, here's the end of the show, folks. Thank you for listening. I'm sorry that we had such a string of bummers. I'm sure that at least one of us will have something good to talk about next week. Uh, and we will be back next week with another episode. Uh, but before we wrap up, we're getting back into the groove, so we are giving away more games. Yes, we are still doing that. Right now, we have PS4, Xbox One, Switch, or PC codes. I've got a pile of codes for any one of these systems. They're just sitting here. I'm not doing anything with them. Please take them off my hands. Email in and just ask for one. Just tell me what system you want. I swear to you, I will email you back. I'll give you a game for free. It might be great. It might be terrible. But either way, it will be free. Uh, so where do you email? You email the same address where you send us your comments, thoughts, feedback, ideas, anything else you'd like to. Hit us up. So video games podcast at gmail.com. One email address does it all. You can also post comments for us at Game Critics once the show gets posted there. And we are on social media, uh, specifically Twitter, collectively at So Video Games. But you can also reach us individually. Corey, where can they find you on Twitter and also the other social media? Um, I can be found on Twitter and Instagram. And some other places, but those are the main two. My username is my first and last name. It is Corey Motley, C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. Excellent. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter also. It's my uh, first last name, B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y. And that is it for us this week. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of So Video Games. And stick around for the banter after the closing music if you are so inclined. Uh, but, you know, uh, you uh, don't have to. No, no one's forcing you. I mean, feel free if you want to. If not, won't think any less of you. Uh, but uh, that aside, we'll be back next week with another show. And for now, this is bye from Brad. And bye from Corey. We will see you guys next week. regular format this week regular schedule back in the groove how you doing sir oh i am uh really tired i cannot bring myself this has been a problem my entire life that i just cannot make myself go to bed earlier or go to bed on time or go to bed shit tell whenever. me about it tell me about it yeah i and suffer like, from that same disease dude <laughs> and i think about it every night before we podcast because normally because i'm working part-time right now which i will be maybe talking about going full-time later um my normal mo because i don't really have much of a life as i go to work i come home if it's not a busy day i get home around 1 p.m or so um and then usually I just take a nap because I don't have anything like super pressing to do in the afternoon usually. So I'll come home. And when I say a nap, sometimes I mean like a three or four hour nap, like a nap ass nap. And I will sleep the afternoon away. And whenever we're the night before we record a podcast, I always think to myself, I really need to go to bed early because I can't take a nap after work today because I come home, I shove a bunch of food in my face, and then we sit down and record, and I don't have time to take a nap. And every single time, I do not go to bed early. 
and I'm dragging and I'm tired and I'm also in like panic mode because not real panic mode, but like I'll talk about this in a minute too. Um, Patrick and I are flying to San Francisco tomorrow. So like oh, you are. Yes. So, and I haven't like packed and I have to work tomorrow. I need to maybe do some laundry. I just need to like get my life together, like to go. So <laughs> I'm just get like, get your shit together, man. Know, Pull yourself together. I, I like, I really need to get it together and I can't, and I just have like a lot, like we, I have to, I'm trying to like compartmentalize everything. Like I worked today, I ate lunch. Now I have to do this. And then I want to go like, I don't like need to go shopping per se, but I'm really hung up on what I want to wear while I'm in San Francisco. And like, I'm thinking about going and like buying a couple of new shirts or something. And so I'm like, how am I going to fit that in? And I have to do laundry and I have to pack. And it's just like, so I, it's just like now setting in that I have like all this stuff I need to do and I have like a limited amount of time to do it. So I'm I'm a little concerned about that. Well, it's a good thing that we run the world's shortest podcast. I think you'll be in and out in record time. Have uh, have enough uh, time in your day and have a little Starbucks stop at the Target you're going to go to. Maybe have a hot dog or something. You'll be back packed. And then you'll just take another nap. It's fine. Plenty of time. That's exactly what's going to happen today. <laughs> so what is this Frisco trip? Tell me all about this. Well, I... Um kind of actually forgot it was coming up because Patrick and I, or Patrick, I should say, booked the plane tickets for it probably like, I don't know, like two or three months ago. But long story short, um, this weekend is Pride Weekend in San Francisco, which I can only imagine is probably one of the biggest like Pride celebrations maybe in the world. I mean, maybe that one, I'm sure New York is probably huge, if not bigger. There's probably like, you know, one in LA and one in San Diego and um, and Patrick's cousin, who, let me see if I can get this right, his mom's sister's son, um, moved to California, to the San Francisco area, about five years ago, maybe, something like that. Um, and his cousin is also gay, and we have never been out there to visit him. And so we're just kind of, like, bundling this whole trip into one. Like, we're flying out there um, tomorrow night, which will be Thursday night. Um, and then we're doing like, he kind of has like a whole kind of like calendar of festivities of stuff that we're doing, um, Friday and Saturday and Sunday. And then we fly out on Monday night and we don't get back to New Orleans until like one o'clock in the morning on Monday night into Tuesday morning. So I took off work on Tuesday too, basically, so I can just sleep all day on Tuesday. Um, but yeah, we're going for pride. Um, I'm sure it's going to be a lot of sensory overload. Um, I kind of get nervous in crowds sometimes. So I'm a little bit concerned about just like being in a new environment with a different crowd and just like a lot of stuff happening around me. But I'm also trying to think about um, like, I'm sure it's going to be wonderful. And I'm also thinking about like when I was talking about going shopping for clothes earlier, like, I mean, pride in San Francisco, like you can probably wear anything and you can probably wear nothing. And I can't decide like, what I want to do, like... You don't do, know which way you're going to swing on that spectrum. Yeah, I huh? mean, I would like to wear clothes, but the kicker is that one of the nights, um, Patrick's cousin, and I still am not sure if I want to do this or not, but um, one of the nights, he he wants us all to go to this, like, bear-themed, which, if anybody who's listening doesn't know anything about the subsets of gay communities, a bear is generally, like, a larger 
hairy man. Um, you can also have like a muscle bear, which is like a large muscular hairy man. We're, we're allegedly going to a bear underwear party. And like, that's not really something that I'm like super jazzed about. So like, but I also need to figure out what I want to wear for the parade because I went to H&M and I don't want to like, I hate on one hand, like I don't want to support like corporations like thriving off of pride for one month out of the year. But on the other hand, like my options are very slim at this point. Um, I went to H&M a few weeks ago and they have this like kind of amazing and also kind of ridiculous like rainbow like mesh shirt. And when I say mesh, it's not like fishnet. It's like pretty small holes, but it's still enough to see through. Sure. And I and I was like, oh my God, this shirt is ridiculous. I would never wear that. And then the more I think about it, the more I'm like, well, it would be like pretty in theme for Pride in San Francisco. So like I'm thinking about going to buy it like tonight after the podcast, but also the skate shop downtown, they released a Pride shirt this year. And I think it's the first year that they've done it. And it's not really anything special. It's just like a black t-shirt. It has their logo on the front and there's like a rainbow behind the logo. So like I wanna I would rather support the skate shop, but the shirt at H and M is like super extravagant and obviously it's like a rainbow mesh shirt, which is a lot different than just like a black t-shirt with a rainbow on it. So I'm trying to make up my mind, like, do I wanna go buy more clothes for this or do I wanna just take the clothes that I have with me and like look really tame and just wear like a black t-shirt and jean shorts or something the, because the choice is obvious the choice is obvious <laughs> here you buy the skate t-shirt to support the skate shop and you also buy the mesh one because it's super gay and then you just wear the mesh one and keep the t-shirt at home for when you're like kicking around the house uh, i know but both like i don't know how much money i want to spend on all of this is the other thing like because both of those shirts combined is going to be in the ballpark of like 60 dollars. and do i want to spend 60 dollars on a shirt that I will love and support a local business and then a shirt that I would rather have for the event, but like never ever wear again or wear like once every year when pride comes around. This is like the, the choice. I feel like the better thing to do is to get the skate shop shirt because I would be like supporting the skate community and supporting a local business and blah, blah, blah. But like, it's just a black t-shirt with like a logo and a rainbow on it. Whereas the H and M shirt is like this big ridiculous, like it's very much more in, in theme with pride. You would be uh, so disappointed with yourself if you go all the way to fucking San Francisco for Pride and you're not wearing something <laughs> extravagant. Why even bother going? You're missing the point. <laughs> no, but the other thing, like the thing that's kind of like on top of all of this is obviously um, I'm planning on taking like all of my makeup with me. So I'm probably going to be doing like an extravagant like eyeshadow makeup of course, look. Of so. course you are. Of course you are. <laughs> so I'm like, we'll do, if I'm doing like a bunch of like great face makeup, like I know the shirt obviously matters, but like, does it matter that much? I don't know. I just like can't, I can't decide. Oh, and this is like right, something listen. that's causing me anxiety right now. And I can't Listen, dude, it. I'm the straightest guy you know. And I'm telling you to get the rainbow mesh shirt and do the makeup together. <laughs> it's got to be fabulous. It's one time a year. It's a special occasion. It's, it's a special place. It's a special trip. Just do it up. Do it up all the way, man. I know I could. The thought is also crossing my mind that I could just wait until we get there to buy clothes. Because like, I don't think the actual pride parade is until Sunday and we get there Thursday night, so, like, I could just go to an H&M there, or maybe I could go to, like, a local gay San Francisco shop, because I'm sure there's, like, one on every block, um, and, like, buy something there that's extravagant. So, I don't know. There's so many options in front of me. I don't know what to do, and I also have, like, everything else going on as far as, like, packing and doing laundry and, like, all the stuff, so... 
But, you know, big, big takeaway here is that I'm going to San Francisco. Not only San Francisco, I'm going for the very first time. I've never been to California, so I'm going... California for the first time, going to San Francisco for the first time. Oh, you've never been to California before? I did not know that. No, I'm so, like, boring. I mean, I know I've moved around a few times in my life, like, grew up in Missouri, lived in three different places there, two different places there. Um, Lived in Omaha, now I live in New Orleans, so that's kind of a big change. But, like, I've never been to California, I've only been to New York once, I've only been to Florida once, and that was, like, when I was 18. Never been out of the country, like, there's just, like, a lot of this multicultural stuff that I'm not directly exposed to. So this will be my very first time in California. Interesting. Okay, well, cool. Let us know how it went. I'm looking forward to a lot of pictures on your Instagram. <laughs> um, you looking fabulous. And, of course, all the debauchery that you're about to take part in. So I'm sure that'll be really fun. Um, speaking of Pride, by the way, uh, we are going to be also celebrating Pride here in Seattle. This weekend is Pride Weekend in Seattle. So big ups to everybody. Um, and my wife and I and my son are going to be manning one of the tables, um, at the Big Pride Festival, which is on Broadway in Seattle, which is kind of like the gayborhood or the de facto gayborhood, um, maybe <laughs> slightly less gay because too many Microsoft and Amazon people who are not gay have kind of moved in. So it's not nearly as queer as it used to be, but it is still fairly queer and probably the most queer friendly part of town. Uh, but my wife's agency that she works for is supporting, um, the pride festivities and, you know, big support, of course. And of course, like, I mean, I, I don't know if I ever talked about this before, but my day job, you know, doing the sign language interpreting stuff, I don't talk about this very often, but a little known fact, or if you don't know, uh, if you're not into it, you probably don't know, but like, if you get, if you become a sign language interpreter, it's like 90% women who are in that field. And of that 90%, um, like at least half of them are lesbians and of the 10%, who are left that are the men, like 99.9% of them are gay. <laughs> so you cannot be a sign language interpreter without getting real friendly with queer people in a hurry. I mean, if you don't like like gay people, you don't last in this field because that's that's the only people who are in the field. So it's kind of funny because I'm kind of like the minority of a minority where not only am I a guy, but I'm also straight. So like there's very, very, very few straight guys in the field. Um, so you have to get real comfortable with it. So I'm very comfortable with it. Our agency is very comfortable with it. We're going to be supporting uh, Pride. We're going to have a table out on uh, Broadway as, as parade and people dressed up in costumes and stuff happening. So we're going to be doing that this weekend. So we bought a bunch of rainbow shit and we're going to be wearing that and going to be <laughs> hanging out and eating rainbow food and drinking rainbow drinks and just being general rainbows all the way around. So that is coming up. Uh, but also, just a slight divergence, still on the topic of gay, but not on the topic of Pride. Uh, I wanted to say a big... Thank you, and also a big goodbye to the Game Bar podcast. Have I mentioned this on the show before or not yet? Uh, I think you have, because you have, correct me if I'm wrong, you've guest starred on it before? Yeah, I was fortunate to be on their show. I want to say at least once, maybe twice on their show. And there were not a whole lot of straight people on that podcast, so I feel very <laughs> proud to be one of the token straights. That's very nice, very, a big honor for me. Uh, but yeah, I listened to that show for a long time. Um, I think I was originally recommended that show by Samantha Allen, who used to work, not work, but I mean, used to write for Game Critics, um, who's now a very famous um, trans author. She's really like internationally known, just put out a couple books. I mean, definitely super famous in those circles. But she introduced me to the Game Bar podcast and I started listening and I just thought it was the funniest thing. And they talked about a lot of the games that I liked. And so I just started listening to all these, uh, for a couple years ago, I mean, several years ago. And then I got to know those guys via Twitter. And then it just turned out that one of the guys who was on the podcast actually moved, uh, from the South. I think he was in Atlanta and moved to like 20 minutes from where I live. And so they were like local. 
So um, we went over there, met him in person, went bowling, uh, helped him move in. And, like, we all became, like, real good friends. They come over for Thanksgiving, like, every year now. So we're good. We're good buddies. But the Game Bar podcast is now over. It ran for nine years. I don't know how many episodes. And it was one of my favorite things to listen to. I'm going to miss it very much. Uh, but I wanted to give a big hearty thank you for all the episodes, all the good times, all the laughs, and all the years of their service. Um, it was primarily um, Todd Harper, Jason Toops, and Jeremiah Bratton uh, for most of the show, and most of the years that I listened anyway. And at the very tail end, they were joined by Dia Lucina. Um, so thank you, all of you, for, for putting on that show. And I'm sad that I am now one podcast less to listen to. Because I was a very frequent listener, regular listener, uh, big supporter. They name-checked me a bunch of times, which I always got a big kick out of. So <laughs> good people, good people, and sad to see a good podcast go. Is there a specific reason why they stopped? Or were they just kind of all going in different directions or something? They were kind of vague about it. It just seemed like people were getting really busy. Um, it just seemed like um, the theme of the last one or two episodes that I listened to just seemed like they were really struggling to find the time. And after doing it for nine years, I think they were all just kind of focusing on just, you know, I don't know, maybe living their life a little bit more or or I don't know what. But they weren't they were not concrete about like, this is the reason we're breaking up. It, I think they just were like, OK, we're you know, we're good. We did it for nine years. And it's just, you know, I mean, you and I know for sure how hard it is to to schedule anything. Um, it's kind of a miracle <laughs> that we get this time slot every week. Um, so add in like two more people and try to find a time slot. I can imagine what a nightmare that is. And, and, and when we did it on the game critics podcast, it was a literal nightmare trying to find a time and a day that worked for everybody. So I imagine that maybe it was just scheduling perhaps, or maybe they just, you know, are really busy with work and life and who knows what, but sounds like they all ended on good terms. It wasn't like a big fuck you or, you know, <laughs> anything like that. No, no venom being spat. So I think it's fine. I think maybe just life, you know, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I know I only guest start on the Game Critics podcast official like a handful of times, but yeah, getting like four or five different people in different corners of the United States in different time zones together to like Skype or Discord or whatever to do a podcast was a nightmare. And I was only exposed to, I mean, like the actual podcasting was great, but scheduling with everybody, like I was only in that for a very small percentage and that often seemed like a nightmare logistically. So I can definitely understand that. Yeah. 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 So whatever happens, happens. Um, thanks again to the game bar podcast. And I mean, if nothing else, I made a good, a really, a really good friend of it. Cause Jeremiah is the one who lives close to me. Uh, and he and his partner, Russell are really good friends of ours. And we go out and do stuff all the time, uh, as, as time allows, you know? And, uh, so, I mean, we are still friends on Twitter and we got some good relationships and good games chat and, you know, a lot of good came out of it. It was a good show. So, uh, I'm, 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 I'm glad to have been a fan. <laughs> well, good. Um, I'm glad that they didn't have a terrible falling out. That would have been kind of sad, sad ending, but, um, okay. Happy ending, happy ending. So I got a couple more things, but let's turn it back over to you, Corey. What else you got on the banter agenda today? Oh man, I don't even know. I thought about, cause I was just on my business trip. I thought about talking about that, but I, I've already, you know, it's like, that thing happens, and this probably happens with you too, where like when you're in the middle of something, it seems like like the whole time I was on my business trip slash mini vacation a few weeks ago, I was kind of like, oh man, like I can talk about some of the stuff on the podcast and, you know, kind of like talk about what all we did and everything. But then like so much time has passed that I'm suddenly like, well, that doesn't really seem that relevant anymore. Or, you know, like stuff has happened since then. Or, and I just like don't really know if I feel like going in depth on it. I don't know. Does that make any sense? 
Yeah, totally. I mean, in the moment, it might be kind of interesting and fun, but now that you've got some time behind you, it's like, ah, oh, whatever. I moved on. Who cares? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> I don't want to, like, discredit anything I did in Salt Lake because um, I think I told you this off the show last week when we recorded, but um, it really was uh, pretty much the best experience I could have had out there. Um, you know, as far as the work stuff went over really well, and then I stayed through the weekend. My work trip was technically... Like, I did stuff Monday night through Thursday afternoon, but I flew out Sunday, so I was there kind of like a day early. And then I stayed with my friend Parker from Thursday night through Sunday, and I flew back to New Orleans on Sunday afternoon. And uh, Parker did a really good job of very, like, carefully curating stuff for us to do because Parker's lived there, or in Utah at least, uh, for their entire life. So... I, uh, and I obviously don't really know that much about the landscape or about a lot of stuff going on there. Um, but Parker definitely curated the stuff we did super well as far as going to restaurants and going to bars. And, you know, they had a full, like, literally, like, handwritten list of all the stuff for us to do whenever I got there. And uh, we didn't get to everything on the list, but everything we did was just wonderful. And I got to meet the roommate Blythe, and she was incredible. Um, pretty much as soon as I walked in there, uh, cause they're renting like a house together, them and one of their friends, Josh, uh, pretty much as soon as I walked in, Blythe and I had a pretty long, well, it wasn't super long. It was maybe only like 10 minutes, but it was one of those situations where you meet someone and instead of just like sticking to really surface level kind of small talk you know figuring each other out conversation we just like dove in and she was talking about I mean the thing that initially kicked off kicked off our conversation was about photography because she had a camera and she had expressed interest in kind of like picking my brain a little bit about photography and about art and about my process and she does a lot of artwork outside of photography photography to me from what she was saying kind of seemed like her newest venture but she did a, she's did a, lot of, a lot of painting and like charcoal work and a lot of other stuff and we just like really dove like pretty deep very quickly on like our process and i was trying to teach her a little bit about the way that i think about shooting and how i think about editing and it wasn't really me just telling her what to do because i don't like to like teach people that way it's more of like a discussion and a conversation but it was just really incredible because it's a it's a very rare instance where you meet someone and you're just like talking about like stupid bullshit for a little while before you um before you kind of dive deep on maybe each other's like thought process or or you know or just like more interesting stuff and so I felt really fortunate to have met her and been able to pretty much just like immediately dive into like a pretty like philosophical conversation about like art and photography and about our processes and everything. But also to Parker's credit, um, Parker is the kind of person where I, I trust them so much that I know that anyone that they're friends with, I immediately know I can trust them or befriend them just as much as Parker does. And it really like proved itself, you know, that really proved itself to be true because I had never met Blythe before the trip. And then suddenly we just like really dove in on stuff together and she was wonderful. But um, I, I don't want to talk, I'm not going to talk about the specifics of like every restaurant we went to and everything we did, but, um, but the trip was very successful. I had a very good time. Uh, Parker did an immaculate job of curating a list of stuff for us to do. 
Um, I had not seen Parker. I had been to Salt Lake once before to meet Parker and, uh, that was like seven years ago. And it was that perfect thing where, you know, they came and picked me up from the airport. I got in the car and then it was like, we had just hung out last week. You know, we picked up right where we left off. There was nothing awkward about it. There was nothing weird. It was just the perfect, like, I feel so lucky to, you know, have, met Parker through Twitter of all places. I mean, I feel like that's what I say about a lot of my friendships now. And then just fallen right back into our perfect groove of being able to hang out effortlessly. And it was just really wonderful. And I really uh, can't thank them enough for curating so many things for us to do. And what a great time I had. Oh, that sounds great. I mean, it sounds like a good time. And I mean, when you have those connections with people i think that's really amazing like it definitely doesn't happen all the time definitely doesn't happen with everybody so when you meet that person where you just like kind of click and you just become really good friends or you can kind of just get a good sense of that person really quickly and it turns out to be correct i mean that's really that's really cool i've had a, a few instances of that not many because i think that there are probably not many to be had for each person in general but like when you do have <laughs> one it's really cool and like that feeling of i know exactly what you're talking about like the feeling of not seeing somebody for like a year or two years or whatever and the next time you see him, it's like you just saw him last week and like, it's all good. Like, that's a really, that's a really good feeling. And when you have a friend like that, you got to hang on to that friend and, and keep in touch and just uh, maintain that relationship. So that sounds great. I'm, I'm, sounds like a really good trip. I'm glad you had a good time. Yeah, it was uh, really wonderful. I could not have asked for a better trip. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Um, on a completely different, unrelated topic, not connected <laughs> to this whatsoever. Uh, this I just got a bunch of random stuff here. I'm just going to throw out a couple of random things because I've been, you know, because we've kind of been out of our groove. This is the first normal episode we've done in um, at least two weeks, if not more. And so I had a bunch of stuff saved up, um, had a million games saved up. We're not going to get all those today. I had a bunch of banter saved up. So I'm going to try to just like pick and choose out of my list here and we'll go through a couple things. This is going to sound really crazy, but like, so you remember I did the um, E3 presentation for Microsoft during E3 week, right? Yes. So Microsoft has more money than God, basically. Uh, and so when I was there at Microsoft headquarters, I mean, it's just like a really, you know, I mean, ostentatious display of, you know, visible wealth going on. And like they would bring in <laughs> food for us every single day. And like, I mean, if you're rich, you can afford some pretty good lunches, let me tell you, because they brought in some really good food. And I was constantly impressed by how much food was there. Like, you'd get there in the morning, and there'd be, like, this hot bar set up right next to the recording studio. And there'd be, like, eggs and, you know, biscuits and orange juice and all these other things. And they had, like, this pile, a pile of bacon, Corey. I can't even tell you how much bacon was there. It was, like, the biggest pile of bacon I've almost ever seen in my life. And uh, trust me, I've seen several piles of bacon. Uh, and I would sit there, and I'd be like, well, watching my weight trying to eat healthier but on the other hand free bacon and like as much as you can eat and so i'm like well okay it's e3 i might as well celebrate the gamer way by eating a bunch of uh fatty bacon and having a bunch of sugary soda so i uh i, I indulged myself a little bit more than i meant to and i just the bacon kept coming and i kept eating the bacon and i'm like i actually got to a point where i had enough bacon and i didn't think that was possible but i'm like i'm good like i've had all the bacon my body can handle and I can't handle anymore. And I literally don't want any more. And I, and getting to that feeling of, I don't want more bacon is a pretty rare thing. So, <laughs> um, that was pretty cool. But the other thing that was really interesting, very interesting about the Microsoft food service was they cut their chicken in a way that I have never seen chicken cut before. And like, I'm not, a, I'm not a professional chef, 
But I know a lot about food, and I cook food, and I'm a good cook. My wife's a good cook. We both are pretty knowledgeable about food. And I, they brought this chicken in, and I've literally never seen chicken cut this way before. It was, I mean, I don't want to say it was like a revelation, but it was like, whoa, what's going on with this chicken? So I, I don't know what it was called, but I called it handlebar chicken. That's what I made up a name for it. Because they took a chicken, if you can envision like a, like a chicken in your head. <laughs> You take, you take your knife, you cut down the breast. Like, if the chicken's facing you, I mean, no head, obviously, but, like, if the body of the chicken's facing you, you slice down the, the center of the breast and then jag your knife either left or right and then keep going all the way around, like, the bottom of the rib cage, and then swing it back up around the back. What you end up with is a full breast of chicken with the shoulder joint still attached to it so that when you cook it, there is a perfect little handle on the chicken that you hold the chicken by the arm and you've got this entire breast of chicken that you can just gnaw on. It was I've never seen chicken cut like that before and it sounds crazy. Maybe it's hard to maybe it's hard to envision. But just picture a a whole chicken breast all perfectly cooked ready for you to eat with a little fucking handle on the end of it. It was so brilliant and clever. I was like, "Oh my god, this is so funny. Like you can just t- pick up this piece of chicken and just walk off." And go to your computer station and keep eating the chicken and then do programming or whatever at the same time. It was brilliant. I thought it was really interesting. I would like to apologize in advance for any vegetarian or vegan listeners. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is this is the meat podcast. We kill animals here. No apologies, no regrets. Uh, yes, they they are here for our pleasure. I mean, it um, does. It sounds smart, but it also sounds terribly like corporately efficient to be like we're gonna cut this chicken in a way where you can still work while you eat it i mean i mean true true there's probably like a dark side to how this particular cut of chicken became uh, invented probably a very sad story people being overworked in their cubicles or something probably a very awful reason for it but it was pretty cool and it's i mean i gotta be honest like it's pretty rare that i come across some kind of preparation of food that i have never seen before like doesn't happen every day so like i was very very surprised to see this this brand new thing that i had never thought of before but um anyway so that was pretty interesting pretty cool um god i got some tv and sh- stuff to watch you want to talk about tv and movies uh, if you want to talk about tv and movies all right so we have been going the son and i i, I was really sick last week i, I mean i kind of mentioned it really quickly in the podcast but not I didn't go into, like, super depth, but uh, when I get sick, uh, usually I just kind of, like, sit on the couch, like most people do, and just, like, watch shows, eat soup, drink fluids, orange juice, whatever. And since I am the stay-at-home dad now that my wife has gone back to the workforce, uh, my son was here, and, you know, I mean, I'm still the caregiver. I'm still, you know, sick, but still the caregiver. Uh, So I'm like, okay, well, let's eat some breakfast, and then I'm I'm still sick, so let's sit on the couch, let's just watch some movies, let's watch some scary movies. And my son was like, yeah, 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 let's do it. So... Uh, we had a whole, like, movie marathon of, like, various scary movies. I was picking out stuff that was scary, but not too scary, because he's not to the upper limits of, like, bloody slasher, horror, gore-fest stuff. I mean, we're on the the lower end of the spectrum here, but I still wanted to broaden his horizons a little bit. Because he wants to. He wants to watch scary movies, but he's got to build that tolerance up, right? So, one of the movies we watched was, um, House and House 2. Have you seen either one of these? I don't even think I've heard of them. No. Never heard of them. Okay. Uh, they are about uh, a couple of scary houses. This was filmed, I think, in 84 and 86. Uh, the first one stars uh, William Catt, who's probably best known for being in the Greatest American Hero TV series. Ever hear of that before your time? Before my time. 
before your time. And the second one had a couple of guys that were famous in the 80s as like B-list actors, but there was also Bill Maher in that uh, second movie, and he played a dick in that movie, just like he is in real life, so I thought that was very appropriate. <laughs> um, first, The first house was just like a kind of a generic, scary, pretty tame haunted house uh, movie, whatever, not much to talk about, but we're like, okay, we watch this one, fine, let's watch the sequel. And the sequel was extremely interesting because if you look at, if you Google the poster for this movie, um, you'll probably see like a zombified hand with the flesh rotting off of it, pushing a doorbell, or you'll see like a really scary um, house with like these zombies around it. And you're like, oh, that looks kind of like a creepy movie. Uh, And we watched it. And what ended up happening was it was a surprisingly positive and warm, wholesome family film very appropriate for kids which totally blew me away because we were thinking we were going to watch something spooky uh it's that kind of weird flavor of movie that we got a lot during the 80s and not so much anymore where it was kind of like a kid's movie but there was still like some gore and serious some horror and still some laughs and so but at the same time still okay for kids um we got a lot of those um, in the 80s, I think, like, The Monster Squad was another good uh, example. Or or even some sci-fi-themed stuff. Like, you know, you would get, like, NeverEnding Story or Goonies or Explorers or something like that. Where definitely kids movie, but a little bit edgy, but not too edgy. And it had this really particular flavor about it that, like, it's just, we just don't see anymore. So I was really surprised with House 2. I would actually recommend it to parents who want um, something a little teeny, teeny, tiny bit spooky for the kids. But it's still super safe to watch. It was... It's just really weird how the trailer was so spooky and you watch it and it's like, oh, this is a film the whole family can enjoy. That's a strange, unexpected outcome. Um, so that was okay. And then we moved on to Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Have you seen that one? <laughs> I have not. Have you heard of it, though? I've heard of it, yes. Okay, so that was a pretty well-known kind of cult, goofy film. Um, still good, still good. Clowns look really gross and creepy. They go around, like, doing clown stuff, like shooting popcorn guns and wrapping people in cotton candy, and shenanigans ensue, so that was pretty fine. Um, I watched it a million times when I was a kid, and it still holds up. Uh, and the last one I think that we watched... Okay, like, two more. We watched uh, The Ginger Dead Man. Have you seen that one? I have not. I have never seen any movie that you've seen ever. <laughs> uh, Ginger Dead Man was perfectly terrible. It was. It starred Gary Busey in the lead role. If that tells you anything oh, about how boy. cheap it was, okay. Yeah, I mean, it looked like they made it in someone's office that was shut down for the night after people went home, and they <laughs> they had enough money to buy donuts for the cast, and they were using someone's iPhone to film it, and like that's how like <laughs> shitty and cheap it was. It was really bad. It was really really bad. It's the kind of movie where someone gets killed, everybody goes, "Oh shit." And then, like, in the very next scene, five seconds later, they're just, like, business as usual. Everything's fine. Like, even though there's one of their friends just got cacked or something. Terrible, terrible film. The gingerbread man who was doing the killing. Terrible special effects. Uh, Gary Busey. Why would you even spend money on that guy? Just the whole thing was awful. It was phenomenally bad. And then uh, we were flipping through looking for some more movies to watch. And I was, I think we were going to, like, watch The Blob or something like that. And we start flipping through the download, um, the little title cards on the download, you know. And so we start flipping through and we pass through Elvira. You know Elvira? Oh, yeah, of course. Okay, so we're flipping through. One of her title cards comes up and I keep flipping through. 
And my son's like, wait, go back. Like, <laughs> <laughs> was it like mostly her cleavage in the picture? Of course <laughs> it was. There's no other picture of Elvira. Of course it was. And so I'm like, what? 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 He's like, well, who's that lady? And I'm like, oh, that's Elvira, mistress of the dark, son. And so he's like, let's watch that one. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so we ended up watching that. And that was, uh, that was quite funny. It was funny. It was funny, too, because... We watched it. The movie was terrible, but it was like Elvira's usual thing where she'll pop up every four or five minutes with like a, a joke or something just to kind of like make the movie better. Kind of like her version of Mystery Science Theater 3000 or whatever. Um, so we watched the movie and it was all fine and whatever. We get done and then I go on to Twitter and I uh, I go, oh yeah, uh, Puberty came to our house early this year because my son wanted to watch an Elvira movie. Uh-huh. And I, I tagged her into it and she totally saw it and retweeted and she gave me like a little smiley face back. So I thought it was really funny. <laughs> Stuff like that is when Twitter is at its best. I love when you can reach out to, like, a celebrity and, like, give them some props or tell them a thank you or something. And then they see it, and they're like, hey, you're welcome. You know, that kind of thing. I think it's great. So that was really fun. That was hilarious. I've only got one other movie to talk about. But I'm not going to talk about it if you haven't seen it. Have you seen Have you seen Us? I have not. I have not seen either of Jordan Peele's movies, and I'm, like, so behind the times on it. Uh, okay, you should you should do like a double feature, and you and Patrick should get like uh, one weekend when you guys have some time, and watch those. I was going to talk about it, but I don't want to talk about it too much because I mean there's definitely some spoilage that can happen there. But uh, the wife and I watched it the other day. We had a, a rare moment when the kid was out of the house because we thought that would be too too hardcore for him, so we wanted to wait until he was around. He was not around. He was he was off for the day playing with a friend, and so we watched it. And uh, it was pretty good. I mean, I think I actually liked it better than Get Out. And I'm not saying that I didn't like Get Out. I did like it. Uh, I don't think it was, like, the revelation that a lot of people said it was. I mean, I thought it was a very good, solid horror movie. And especially good for Jordan Peele's first time out as, like, director. I mean, you know, I liked it. Like, I'm not saying I didn't like it. But, you know, I I just wasn't blown away by it, you know. But uh, his second one, Us, is about a family that goes to the beach for like a holiday and when we get there they're renting a house and or no 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 they own a, a vacation house there at the beach uh so they go to their house and then it turns out that like that night when they're kind of settling in there is like a copy of their family outside but spooky like there's like the dad the son the daughter and the mom four people in the family there's like these four people outside that look like them uh, but they're all like whacked out. Like their eyes are crazy. Their hair's all messed up. They look kind of gross and bloody. And so they don't know why is there a clone of our entire family outside? What's going on? What do they want? And things kind of get nuts from there. I mean, all of the, <laughs> all of the clones have these really wicked pair of scissors, which is a kind of unconventional murder weapon to use. And you just, it's like for a long time, you just have no fucking clue what is going on. But it's so weird because if you ever came across a clone of yourself, I mean, number one, that's weird just in and of itself. But then to have them be like this murdering monster kind of chasing you down is like extra spooky. So I thought it was really good. Um, liked it better than than Get Out. Uh, a lot of weird, unsettling stuff that happens. I think the ultimate reveal perhaps doesn't hold together as well as I would have liked it to. But it was still pretty unnerving and pretty creepy. And, I mean, I don't think anybody really watches a horror movie for the twist at the end. I mean, I think you want to be scared and kind of be kept on the edge of your seat and stuff like that. So, to that end, I thought it was really well done. And I got to say, the um, performances were all really good. I mean, everybody in that film, I thought, did a great job. But I was especially pleased with um, the guy who played the dad. He is the guy that played M'Baku in Black Panther 
who was the gorilla guy up the mountain. You saw Black Panther, didn't you, or did you not? Yeah, of course I did. Okay, so he was the guy that was the gorilla guy that was up in the mountains in the snowy area. He was like Black Panther's kind of like frenemy or whatever. Yes. And I thought he was he was good in that movie, but like in in us, he really gets to shine. He leans into being the cheesy ass dad like real hard, <laughs> and he like he nails it. Like he's doing all these terrible jokes, and he's being such a fucking cornball. And it was it was a real hoot to watch him do that because I mean not only do I do some of those things myself but like watching somebody ham it up so hard as like the dad and like loving being the dad and he was like a good dad like he wasn't a bad dad he wasn't a drunk he wasn't abusive he was just like a cool cool good dad that loved his kids and like you don't see that very often in movies like as sad as it is to say so to see somebody like really lean into that was really good I thought he did a great job but everybody did a great job and it was a good movie definitely recommend it definitely spooky so yeah big thumbs up. Good. I do. I saw that it just came out on like Blu-ray a week or two ago, and I saw like an ad popped up for it. I think on like Twitter or something. And I thought to myself, like, man, I haven't seen that. And then I thought to myself, man, I haven't seen Get Out either. Like, I think I'm in some universe. I'm like definitely racist for not having watched either of these movies. Um, but that I makes you to... automatically racist, dude. <laughs> what are you doing? I know. I know. I just need to. I mean, you know how I am, though. Like, it takes so much for me to, like, sit down and watch a movie, especially if the movie's not in theaters anymore. Like, to sit yeah. down at home and watch a brand new movie, it takes, like, it's just something that I don't do very often. Or it has to be, like, a very specific movie that I really want to see. So, I know. I mean, I don't know. I'll probably see both of them at some point. But I just don't feel like I know and I trust that they're both like amazing movies or whatever but I just don't feel like the strong urge to do it because I have so many other things I'm doing that sitting down and watching a movie just takes a lot of um just a lot of effort because I like when I watch a movie I don't I'm not one of those people who will like text on my phone or be checking my email or be asking the person next to me a bunch of questions during the movie like whenever I watch a movie for the first time it, if it holds my attention, which I mean, most of the movies that I seek out, I think do because I like to think that I watch movies that align with my taste. I like dial all the way into them. So it takes, I mean, it sounds dumb because like watching a movie takes like not a lot of effort. You're just sitting there, but like to watch a movie and be like really dialed into it and be paying attention to the entire thing and to be like not texting or not talking or, you know, not pausing every five minutes to get up and get like water or whatever. It can be exhausting. Cause I like to really dial myself in when I watch movies. And it's just one of those things that I like never feel like emotionally prepared to sit down and watch something new like that at home, unless I'm going to the theater and seeing something new. And it's just like that thought process that keeps me from, watching a lot of new movies at home no i'm with you dude i'm definitely not the kind of guy who will put on a movie and then like go fuck around on email or like do some tweets or something like if i'm if i'm watching and i I would counter that by saying i think you're actually correct i mean i think that if you're gonna really watch a movie and really take it in and get absorbed with it like it does take a fair amount of effort you have to do some active watching where you're kind of thinking about you know a dialogue what is what do they mean by including this specific piece of dialogue you know why did they choose this camera angle what is, you know, what is the, the, the meta language happening in the film? I mean, and or, you, you can ignore that stuff, too, and just watch it, but at least watch it and pay attention, you know? Like, I mean, I think that does take a certain degree of commitment. So I'm right with you. If I'm going to watch a movie, I'm going to watch it. Like, I'm not going to, like, turn it on and then, like, go talk to somebody or, or whatever. So <laughs> I hear you. But you should definitely check those out. I think they're both winners. I think they're both really good. Um, totally random, but have you ever seen uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind? I have not seen that either. 
you might want to watch that one. For some reason, I feel like that is maybe a Corey movie. Um, based on our conversations in the past and how you watch movies, it stars Jim Carrey, but don't let that put you off because this is one of the times that he actually does a really good dramatic role, and he really is a great actor when he puts his mind to it. Uh, it's a very it's a sci-fi movie where there is a process that you can remove memories that you find painful or 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 that bother you, and so it becomes about like what is the value of not having that experience versus those experiences making you who you are. Uh, I found it to be a really tremendous movie, and just I mean I don't know why that popped into my head, but I think like like hearing you say that you really want to focus on movies and really get into them, and knowing how you like movies, I would re- I would strongly recommend that one to you. I bet you would get a lot out of that one. Yeah, I think so too, because I've heard of it, and um, I like I um I follow that Twitter account, the One Perfect Shot Twitter account. Do you follow that one? No, I don't know what that is. Um, it's called One Perfect Shot, and basically it's just one of those accounts, and this might be, like, the biggest one for film, where they just tweet, like, um, a picture, like, a single frame from a movie, and they say, like, the name of the movie, the director, the cinematographer, and then if they've written an article about it or something, they'll, like, post a link about whatever article they wrote. And, um, I mean, I had heard of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind back when it came out, because I was probably in, like, middle school or high school whenever it came out. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And every time they post, so, like, I kind of know what it's about, and I do think it would be a me movie, and every time they, like, post a screenshot from it, I'm like, oh, I would probably like this, but then I think, man, am I ever actually going to sit down and watch it? So, but I trust that I would like it, I just haven't watched it. I found it to be really touching. I would strongly recommend that you put that on your will-definitely-get-to-it list. (laughs) Um, I think you would really like it a lot. So if you ever get around to it, let me know. Will do. All right. I think that is all the banter that I care to share today. You have any last little bits you want to throw out there? Um, I don't think so. Um, I will give the tiniest, briefest against the law mention that um, I downloaded and played the new Hitman mission last night. Uh, hold on to that thought. Let's talk about that in the show because I did want to. I did want to cover that really, really briefly. Um, so we'll talk about that in the main thing. And also, I I can't hear a goddamn thing you're saying. So oh my god! I'm okay. going to assume that you're just agreeing with me. And let's uh, let's wrap up banter and then we'll we'll do the main show. It may just be me talking to myself. I don't know. I am here if you can hear me. Okay, I can hear you now. Okay, we're back. Okay, technical issues. The internet is wonderful. I say let's wrap it up and let's talk about some games. What do you say? I can get behind that. All right, let's talk about some games. Thank you.